Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, your life coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program every uh, weekday to give you the tools you need to create a healthier, happier life. You know, none of us uh, were just handed a manual when we were born. We had to kind of figure out what works best. And this is the show where we try to give you as many ideas as we can and also kind of just guide you through what's going on in the world. It's uh, We're not just here to give you the news, but to give you some insight, maybe some depth so that you can make better decisions in your life. Welcome to the program. Another day, another dollar in the house, by the way. James Birdsall's here. Yes, I am. James, you were sick yesterday. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling now? Quote, unquote, sick. Quote, air quote. Uh, air quote, sick. Neither confirm nor deny there were no health records taken. Um, I would like now as a doctor to do uh, just a verbal physical. Okay. Should I step out for yeah. privacy reasons? <laughs> if you or, would please step out. Is there any HIPAA requirements here? <laughs> I'm not that kind of doctor. Here's the deal, James. Last time I saw you, you were eating lunch with a chaperone mm-hmm. and your lovely soon-to-be bride – Makanovich. Yes. Next thing I know, you don't show up for work the next day. <laughs> hmm. And now here we are, what, 40 hours later, whatever, and now you're here? Dun, dun, dun. The plot thickens. Splain. Splain? Yes. Well, woke up in the morning, didn't feel well. Mm. <laughs> morning sickness. Well, I guess it technically it would was it be when, was it in, in the, morning the morning when you got sick well i started not feeling well the night before night so sickness. so it was night hmm. slash morning are we going to believe this i don't know there seem a lot of evidence to support anything he's saying i know he's lying look at you can tell he's lying cuz he's sweating it's like he has a fever <laughs> he's got a sweaty fever he's got the chills well we're glad you're here whatever it is and i was fun to to meet uh, McConkey again She's wonderful. Yeah, she is. Did you find that rude, what I said about you to her? Well, I figured figured that, you know, I had some truth to it, so like not when much I, I when I, It was weird. It was an awkward moment because yeah. your chaperone was there. And I'm like, I just looked her in the eye and I'm like, run. Do you remember that? Just run. <laughs> yeah. Run. Yeah. She's great, dude. You're like, you're at a great crossroads of your life at this point. I'm you like, still have freedom. <laughs> Like, you can run. You can make this decision. McKinley, do you know what you're doing? And she had that look in her eye like, help. That's that subtle look. You're like, blink, help me. blink once if you're being held against your will. <laughs> Is he drugging you? <laughs> anyway, she's fantastic. She's a keeper. Uh, tragic news. Ah, oh, that plane crash in the Alps. You heard about that, right, James? Even yeah. though you were sick? Yep. New update, though. Uh, Apparently, the co-pilot ended up locking out of the cockpit the pilot. So, yeah, overnight, senior military officials 
involved in the investigation of the German wing's crash in France, said that evidence from the cockpit voice recorder indicates that one of the pilots exited the cockpit before the plane began its 10-minute descent and was not able to get back in. The official telling the New York Times that the pilots had a very smooth, very cool conversation shortly after the plane left Barcelona. The audio suggests that the guy outside is knocking lightly on the door, and there is no answer. Mm. He then uh, hits the door stronger with no answer. There is never an answer. You can hear that he's trying to smash the door down. The official said investigators do not know yet why the pilot left, but that what is sure is that at the very end of the flight, the other pilot is alone and does not open the door. Uh, I was reading in another air, another source saying that you could hear him breathing uh, naturally. Yeah. It wasn't like it was some sort of hyperventilating or anything. He was just, you could hear him breathing on the microphone. And uh, a public prosecutor, that's the uh, press conference I believe you yeah. viewed this morning. Yeah. He said that he believes the crash was the result of voluntary action on the part of the co-pilot who conducted a, quote, deliberate attempt to destroy the aircraft. 28-year-old co-pilot Andreas Lubitz was a German national but and they're calling it. They're not. It, it, I just really like how the French go about things. Like he's his whole thing is transparency. He doesn't mince words. He's very clear. This wasn't suicide. He won't call it suicide. And um, it wasn't an accident. So they're basically saying whatever it was, it was deliberate, and it was also. Um, it was deliberate because they're not thinking he had a stroke or some medical issue because he had to intentionally shut the doors, lock them. He had to intentionally uh, decrease the – what was it called? Um, basically, they lost 1,000 feet every minute. So the he altitude. had to take the altitude down from 38,000 feet to 6,000 feet, which was an intentional act. And – Multiple, multiple uh, attempts to try to contact him were ignored. He never said one thing. He ignored thing. the tower. He ignored any flight control who was trying to contact him. So, so oh, by the way, and then they brought up that at the very end, there were screams from the back, from the back of the plane. The, the, uh, the passengers were screaming. Could they hear that? Yeah, through the coat. Through Did the, the door open? Mm-mm. Okay. So the belief was that... That, you know, they probably at that point saw the mountains or the crests of the mountains. Yeah. Well, and saw the captain trying to break down uh-huh. the cabin door. You could see the guy up there kicking the door at that and, point probably. And, but they said then fairly – I mean very – there was only a little bit of screaming at the very end and then the prosecutor again said death was immediate, instantaneous. They were going 450 miles an hour. Into a, a mountain. And you've seen the obliterated – Yeah. Airplane, so uh, just tragic, and you know it doesn't make sense, and they don't know anything really about this uh, Andreas Lubitz, and everyone's like, "Is this terrorism?" They're trying to figure that out. Nobody knows yet, but uh, whatever it was, it was deliberate. So, again, if you have sixteen kids from a school in Germany, uh, tragic, and if you have two children, two babies were on that airplane. I think three Americans were on the airplane. Two they've identified, one they haven't uh, given a name yet. Oh, it's just – again, it's just crazy. But uh, this is the world, right? This is the world we live in. And how on earth does a guy just calmly breathe, not say yeah, a word? He wasn't – there wasn't any sense of heightened excitement. Uh-huh. He was just doing his job. Just doing his job. Uh, anyway, crazy news. Crazy news. Any other news we got to cover today? Uh, tornadoes outside of o- Oklahoma. Oh, really? The uh, tornado season began. Uh, thousands go. without power. One person was killed. 
outside of uh, Tulsa. Oh, boy. Cut through a mobile home park, of course. Of course. Somehow those are magnets for uh, tornadoes. Um, outside of Sand Springs, Oklahoma, which would be a a um, suburb of Tulsa, which is a town. I don't know if it deserves suburbs, but it does. Yeah, so it's a, it's... Tulsa. The uh, one person uh, injured, or well, three injured, one dead, estimated 75,000 without power Wednesday night. Mm. More tornadoes to come because of uh, you know weather. You know, I think if I lived in a tornado alley or area, it seems like the best insurance is to just live in an apartment. Yeah, live in a, a, a strong yeah. cement structure. You don't of some need kind. insurance. Just don't buy a motorhome and get it insured. Just live in an apartment. Yeah, I mean, if you or a house doesn't seem to. You don't have a lot of apartments lost in. Yeah, tornadoes. I don't know. It, it seems that Oklahoma is going to be the uh, the center point for tornado activity. With the is it you, you have Gulf wind uh, what the, the weather stream coming up from uh-huh. the Gulf and then coming down from Canada and they happen to merge right in the middle of the country. And are we doing weather now? No, it just that's how the the, the no, jet I stream like works. But I think I like it a as, lot. As they, I, I watched. It was on. Why the, are you pointing to the wall? Because the wall is blank, <laughs> and we can look at you know the. Why are you looking at me but pointing I'm at the I'm practicing. Wall? <laughs> Over here we'll have Sonny shout. No. Uh, Bo Bergdahl charged Bo, with yeah. desertion. U.S. Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. And that's huge news, right? He's been charged with des- desertion and misbehavior before the enemy, according to his lawyer, who said that he was informed yesterday that the Army will announce its charges uh, or today, I guess, that, uh, he, he, that they're going to go after uh, desertion charges. He went missing from his base in Afghanistan in 09, was soon captured by the Taliban, Remaining prisoner of war, or remaining a prisoner until 2014, and then there was a trade with uh, five Taliban commanders from Guantanamo Bay yeah. to get him released. Get him back, and then remember all of his unit members that the once he was back, you started hearing the stories that this guy he's deserted. A deserter. Yeah. Mm. So well, and this again was Obama made a decision. President Obama made a decision that, of course, ticked off a lot of people. The right. And yet uh, now, so the military now is going to discipline Bo Bergdahl. Ah, oh, the tangled web. And then to brighten your day later today, yeah. the Sweet 16. Mm. You have Wichita State, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Virginia, West Virginia meets Kentucky, and Xavier with Arizona. Those are the four uh, games today. And you, you said Xavier. Xavier, not Xavier. It's not Xavier. Xavier. It should be Xavier. That'd be kind of... Interesting. Yeah. Well, wow. That's a lot of news. That is a lot of news. Now, here's the deal. Aren't the news supposed to just report the news? Or are they supposed to be advertising and sending you news that is advertising but really supposedly pretending to be news? It's called native advertising, my friends. And uh, we're going to be talking about it. Coming up, we have Paul Marsden joining us from the U.K., We're going to be talking about those silly little stories that you see in the newspaper or magazines that seem like just a story, but really they're put together by an advertiser. Does that drive you crazy or what? Native advertising. It's our next topic right next uh, after this break on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've talked uh, in recent days about native marketing. 
and advertising. And, and you may not even know what it is, but if you've ever gone to, you know, an article or, or been reading a newspaper online, you may have um, been reading something and not known if it was something like sponsored content. You may sometimes see a little, you know, sign on the on what you're reading on a news page that says sponsored content. Except sometimes you're thinking this is just written by a journalist with whatever you know newsletter you're reading or newspaper you're reading. Sometimes it's actually written by the company, a company that is trying to sell their goods to you. And so for years, there's been this distinctive line between journalism and advertising. But with the rise of Internet media and mediums and the increasing demand in the ad world for more exposure, this native advertising has, uh, has kind of evolved. Now – For some, it's a subtle trick, right? They're trying to trick you into reading advertisements. But uh, others, they're like, no, this is just just new journalism, new marketing, new advertising. What we wanted to do is talk to an expert about it. Dr. Paul Marsden is joining us. He's a psychologist, a researcher, a specialist in consumer psychology and innovation and technology. He's calling – we're talking to him from the UK. He's also the co-author of two popular business books, Connected Marketing and the Social Commerce Handbook. Paul uh, can be found if you go to his website, viralculture.com. You can get more information from him there. Paul, are you there? I certainly am. Hello there. Excellent. Thanks uh, for coming on the show. This – what do you think about this native advertising? Well, I think it's – Personally, I think it's uh, not evil. A lot of people say yeah. it's evil. I think it's actually just quite dumb. Um, <laughs> the, the the whole thing about native advertising is that advertising on the web doesn't work. You're more likely to be struck by lightning than <laughs> click on a banner ad. When no, you're, well, talk okay. about that. It's, We've all seen the banner ads, right? So nobody's yeah. clicking on them. That's right. And so the advertising industry needs to do something because most of uh, – what you read on on the web, most online newspapers, most newspapers are going online. Um, they have to make their money um, through advertising. Big problem. Nobody's clicking on the ads. Right. So what do they do? They trick you. But, but they, they do indeed. They they, 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 uh, right, they make it seem like they, real content. Yeah, it seems like real content. So they what they do is they, they they'll they'll get us like, create sponsored content. So an ad that's dressed up as editorial content. Um, and it will try and dupe, con, fraud, cheat, mislead, <laughs> misinform people to think yeah. you're reading something that's objective and that isn't. And this is, this is a problem for some people because it's ethical, unethical um, to, 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 to do that. Um, but I think from a marketing perspective, the reason why it's dumb is that ever since we started branding sheep um, back in the <laughs> days when branding came, because right. branding was all about a sign that something was real, it was authentic, something you can trust. If you think about native advertising, which is about duping and conning and frauding people, it is a fraud. It's inauthentic. It's about distrust. And so if your purpose as an advertiser is to create a sense of authenticity, of trust, uh, and, and, and reality, then you're doing exactly the opposite with uh, with native advertising. So I think it's fa- fairly self-defeating. So quite apart from the whole ethical issue, I mean, yeah. if you're in advertising, you've probably got to have a an ethical bypass anyway. So it's it's not for, <laughs> for me that, uh, that that side of it where there is an argument that it's it's not unethical. Um, for me, it's all about it's actually self-defeating because it's not doing what branding is supposed to do. It's like you're poisoning the well, right? You, I mean, sure, you're getting a lot of fish in your you know in your pond, but you're also poisoning them. So 
they're going to be yeah, dead fish. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a good analogy. It's like overfishing. I mean, yes, you can create a listicle. You can do a BuzzFeed-type article. You know, New York Times does. I mean, most, most, uh, most publishers do it because they're desperate. They, you know, they're running out of money. And so it is, it's like the, the act of a desperate man <laughs> uh, because the traditional advertising model doesn't work. I mean, I guess journalists would sit there and say they would argue probably the ethical thing. Like we are, we're not here to make money, but the owners of these newspapers are here to make money. And they've always known that it's the advertising that they really – in fact, this was always the debate I heard. As a journalist, you're really here to just sell ad space. And, yeah. and yet the new, the new medium and the new media, online media – it's there's so many uh, ineffective. There's really not a, a highly effective way to get money online, is there? No, I mean, no, there's. There, there, you can use traditional PR. You can do uh, product placement. Product placement online. You can do if it's really, you know, really great ads do work. If you can, uh, you know, it's, it's about combining truth and persuasion together, um, and you can create ads that people want to see. You go to YouTube, you can see some fantastic ads that people, rather than be interrupted, that actually want to want want right. to see. Um, and so great ads, great creativity still does work, but it's tough. And so uh, this sort of native advertising is a cop out. It's, it's where advertisers just say, you know, we, we don't need creativity. Let's just dupe people and concrete people. <laughs> but it's so short termism. I think it, ho- hopefully this thing will just disappear very, very soon. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we'll push I, back on it, won't we? I mean, that, that's what's so weird about the Internet uh, the internet model and is it's a free kind of choice model. So if people don't like it, they're just going to start avoiding you and instead go to YouTube and watch commercials from other companies. Yeah, right. Or you could actually just be really, uh, you could actually just go and click on all the links and then just do nothing about it. Because every time you click on a link in one of these uh, native advertising things, the, the actual advertise, the, um, the, the, the advertiser pays. And so mm. the more people click on these things, oh, and you bankrupt then do them. nothing. Yeah. Um, the, the, the sooner it'll run out of money. <laughs> I love that, Paul. That's, it's a little devilish, but let's do it. Um, <laughs> the, the, and the funny thing is though, I, and this is what's more irritating for me. I still have to wait the seven seconds for it to load and then to click on it to get out of it. So it's really becomes – then it makes me mad. I'm like, man, I hate those ads. And it, so yeah. and that's why you're saying it's dumb is because in the end, it's irritating the consumer. Yeah, irritating people. It'll put them off and they'll distrust the brand saying if this brand is, is so desperate, it's got to con me. It's got to fraud me. It's got to mislead and cheat me and misinform me to get my attention. I'm certainly not going to give it my business. I mean people are smart folk out there and they, they know when they're being conned and yeah. they don't like it. Yeah. No, I love this uh, this topic. And again, if, if some people just aren't into marketing or advertising, but you're living it every single day. Let's take a break. We're talking to Paul Marsden. Go to his website, viralculture.com. Um, he, he has some great books about branding and about just social commerce. He wrote the handbook on it, for heaven's sakes. Connected marketing as well. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion of native advertising. I also want to hear what are some more things we can just do as a consumer to um, to kind of maybe gently guide or more aggressively guide uh, those advertisers in how we want to be marketed to. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember on the show, we like to talk about leadership and uh, the tools you need to make it through your life. Today, we're really talking about advertising leadership. And it seems like uh, maybe what's happening is not leadership. It's just reactivity, in my opinion. The news uh, media, they're trying to make a buck, right? Let's be very real. No matter how uh, ethical they want to be by creating great content, and this is every news source, uh, no matter how careful they want to be to make sure they don't blur the lines between journalism and advertising, in the end, these companies only survive with margin. They've got to make money. And I, I heard a great quote all the time from Stephen R. Covey that said, no margin, no mission. If you're not making money, you don't have to make killer amounts, a ton of money, but you've got to have margin. If you don't, your mission is probably going to suffer. And it seems like maybe what's happening is uh, the maybe the ethics, but also the market is starting to uh, to maybe have a choice in where they go, where they f- focus their time and their attention. No longer are there just three networks. Now there's a lot of different sources where you can go get your news. No longer are you just dependent on getting your news from the paper in your city. Now you can go online and get whatever news you really want. So that competition has gone up. Problem is they're now using this new technique we've been talking about called um, native advertising. Native advertising, it's also sponsored content. If you ever see that little sign on your on your uh, news pages or your news feeds, We've got an expert joining us, though. Paul Marsden is with us. Dr. Paul Marsden is a psychologist. He's a researcher and a specialist in consumer psychology, innovation, and technology. He's here to help us understand the ins and outs of native advertising. Paul, welcome back to the show. Welcome. Hi, thanks. It's so good to have you. And it's just good to have somebody that gets the kind of the psychology of it. And when I said native advertising, you don't even just think you don't think it's evil. You just think it's just plain dumb. As far as a marketing perspective, they're hurting themselves. That's right. Yeah, it's it's self-defeating because it's about uh, being 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 fraudulent, about being authentic and distrustful. When real branding is all about actually communicating how your product, your company, is real, authentic, and trustworthy. And there it goes, because now you all of a sudden I thought I was reading an article and I come to find out it's just a pop up ad for something. Talk about um, maybe the 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 journalism side of this. I mean, the journalists, I'm assuming the average journalist hates this idea. Yeah, I think they they, they they do because there's the difference. They call it church and state, separating separating the advertising department from journalism. Journalism is all about being objective, reporting 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 news and being untainted by the money behind the uh, but behind the company. And so there's been, been traditionally this this divide right. um, where church and state they just do not meet. They do not they do not talk. Um, but uh, today that's being blurred by this native advertising, which is all about ad, advert. It's, it's basically subliminal advertising. It's advertising 
under the threshold of awareness. You're, you're putting an ad, but you're making it look like a news article and trying to dupe, dupe people. And so it's just merged this separation between church and state. And so journalists really, really dislike it because it undermines their own, their, their own profession. Um, and also just smacks of desperation, saying, hey, you know, we're so desperate for money, we're willing to do everything. I mean, it's, yeah. they're prostituting themselves effectively. When, when so you, like well, when you think of it as an expert, then what is the alternative? If, if people are already – I can't remember the percentage, but it's like, I don't know, two hundredths of one percent of those ads get even clicked on. Maybe it's even worse than that. Um, not, not those – not the content uh, ads, but – not the sponsored content ads, but just a regular banner ad hardly ever gets touched. So if you are a big brand um, with a with a big name, a New York Times or you know one of those big kind of papers, how would you go about it, Paul? How should they be trying to approach consumers without offending them, ruining their brand, but still you know being a viable source that makes money? I think innovation is, is is the answer. So if you look at sort of the the news media um, over here in the UK, we have the Guardian, um, that yeah. uh, is a big big news institution, and they're launching a basically a university, an online university where people and uh, actually you can actually go to some of their rents and you pay to learn. Um, you pay you pay to learn. So they do short courses, weekends, and things like that, and they generate money. Hmm. If you look at uh, you know one of the most popular bits of new media over here in the US is Birchbox. And Birchbox is, is news innovation. It's a magazine, but it's also a sample box. So you get receive you receive a set of samples that advertisers pay uh, for and people pay up for, pay for month pay monthly. So the solution out of uh, for, for, for news media and publishing in general is not to prostitute themselves through uh, native advertising. It's to innovate and actually create products that people find worth pay, uh, people believe are worth paying for. And the other way of doing it, of course, is as some of the, the press are doing, actually stick stuff behind a paywall and say, look, our content is so good, people yeah. are prepared to pay for it. I, I, and I've seen that, and I've even just because you know we're always sifting through media and, and news stories, and it's interesting uh, when I run into that. Oh, I get so frustrated because I want to pay for it, and yet um, it, you know it's it's it stops me because well I'd have to go buy every one of those so- sources or sites, but I also know that man they must have good content. Because yeah. they're actually charging for it versus the other ones that are constantly feeding you more and more of it. Yeah, that's that's right. And people are just what you're seeing. You're seeing a, almost the creation of a of two two webs, two uh, two internets. One basically advertising funded through native advertising and all that for for people who either don't have the money um, or are not prepared to pay for it and then a quality web where people are prepared to pay for quality quality content we always used to pay for great news um, for, for good news but this internet and the internet bubbles created this idea that everything should be free everything should be free but mm. you know, journalists need to get paid at the end of the day yeah. the, 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 and so unless they're prepared to unless they choose to create content that they believe and know people are prepared to pay for, then their only other solution is to actually to try and trick and, and fool people through this kind of native advertising. It seems like in the end, um, it's really, though, about content, having such high quality content that you can that people want so badly that they will pay for it. The old model used to be, I'll bring you 10 million f- viewers, but no one will pay. 
or I can bring you 1 million viewers today's model and I'm going to get I'm only going to have 1 million followers but they're all going to pay. So yeah, and that's and what's really interesting about that is you're exactly right. And what's really interesting about it, it's Google, which is the biggest ad, you know online advertiser on the planet, big yeah. advertising platform. It's innovating uh, both on YouTube and through magazines by saying you can pay a small amount and it will be ad-free content, but mm. you're going to be guaranteed quality content. Now, if Google, the biggest advertiser on the planet, uh, is 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 moving this way to say, okay, you can have ad-free quality content but you pay a small amount for it, then I think we've got a vision of the way things are going to be. There will always be free content, be stuff full of ads. Some of them will be, some of them will be interruptive. Some of them will be subliminal. Uh, so you'll have that free web. But for people who are looking for quality, objective content, they will, they, they will, they will, they, they will pay for it. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Paul Marsden, um, Dr. Paul Marsden from the UK. He's, he's got a website, viralculture.com. And also is the author of various books. Connected Marketing is one of them. The Social Commerce Handbook is another. And um, he's actually been working on a new book. What's the name of your new book that you've been working on, Paul? I'm looking. I'm working on two books at the moment. One of them is um, looking at uh, 50 psychological tricks that uh, that marketers need to know. So understanding the psychology behind uh, behind marketing. Huh. And the other one is the Uberfication of everything. Everybody <laughs> knows about Uber, how yeah. Uber is changing taxis, um, you know, t- changing the taxi industry. But this this idea of having services on demand, because we've got our mobiles, mobile service, you can get pretty much anything on demand, whether it be your, cl- whether it be your cleaner, your dog walker, your home help. In, in California now, you can even get marijuana on demand. There's an Uber for marijuana. Oh, wow. I think it's really- <laughs> <laughs> it's really shaking up the, in, the, the, the world, how we do business, to these smartphones we have in our hands, this ability to have an on-demand mobile service. You just tap for service That's and either your, your marijuana dealer or your cleaner drops by and picks up your shirt or delivers your dope. You know, I mean, people are now – isn't that crazy? People are now too lazy to go get their own dope. Well, I mean, convenience is <laughs> yeah, it's what just it's convenient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, I guess that's part of this, which is why – uh, this native advertising is frustrating is because it's not convenient for the consumer. It's convenient for the the marketer, the brand, but it's not convenient for me to keep being duped or tricked into looking at ads so that you can make money. Yeah, it's a way people's time is precious. I mean, convenience is all about saving people's time. And say so you're busy reading an article um, about the millennial generation at work, and then you find actually, no, this is actually sponsored by Dell, but it's in the New York Times. What is going on here? You know, you've, you've, you've wasted your precious time. People, huh. you know, people want to make the most of their time, and they don't want to be duped into reading stuff that uh, that they believe is news when it isn't news. Do you think the um, – it seems like inherently the big – the big papers, the big enterprises with all the name branding that they've had for a hundred years, you would think they'd have the advantage in this market simply because they have the brand already, except they're, they also have the history. They have uh, maybe the traditions of not necessarily thinking as creatively as you need to think. So younger organizations, and I don't know how long Guardian has been up, but I, I just barely discovered it about uh, a couple weeks ago, and I I love The Guardian now. And um, it just seems like some of these younger enterprises might be more able to kind of make it through this maze that is created with internet marketing. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of legacy thinking that people just aren't willing to adapt or not, or not able to adapt. And there's a from if you for a long, you know, the Guardian is a very long standing institution, but it's where it stands out because it is hugely innovative. Mm, and it's it. gone out saying, look, no, are we going to do quality journalism? We're going to win the Pulitzer Prize. We're going to, and we're going to, uh, and everything's going to be free. They've made the choice saying that we're not going to charge for our news. But what that's done is that's put the emphasis on we need to innovate. So it's basically becoming a, a, an events and a learning institution. It's becoming a next generation university yeah. where it charge, charges for, for, for content. So you get access to great journalists and great great tuition i think we need that kind of innovation spirit which is going to get us out of this hole that the uh, that the publishing industry has, had, um, has dug itself what do um i mean that because that's what's interesting now so a guy from utah in the united states is now actively going to follow the guardian and their innovative approach and even their learning probably approach so I mean, it's working, and and that's the benefit of kind of the global marketplace. Is there's no reason why I couldn't be an active follower of a newspaper in another country just because it's quality. I'm no longer even I no longer even have to just use the news from the United States. What should I do, Paul, as just an average consumer to guide the brands that I like more? What can I do to try to communicate with them? what I want, and better ways to, to work with me. You can give them great – I mean, people say you know, advertising is, is basically an excuse for a, a mediocre product. You only need to advertise. You've got a mediocre product. Amazon doesn't pretty much advertise. Apple does some advertising but very selective advertising. So what you can do is you can give your money to really innovative companies that deliver you value. When you pay your money, you get value. And that, that's not had to be offset with huge advertising budgets to shill uh, products that, 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 that are mediocre. You can also, for the native advertising, what uh, what publishers, um, journalists and publishers hate is when letters and notes and comments are sent to the editorial board saying, this really sucks what you're doing. I trusted you as an institution. I trusted you and look at what you're doing. (laughs) And when that gets around the editorial table, you know, sort of heads bow in shame and and you'll shame people into doing stuff. So you can actually use that comment form, um, comment form. And like I said, you can actually just be really quite Machiavellian and start clicking on these links because every time you click on these links um, in the short term I think hey this is working but in the long term if you don't buy anything it just shows that this model the model is bust it's uh it really is I think it's fascinating too that we need to remember it seems like as consumers that we have the power the power the power is really in in me and so if I do go pay five dollars to get that subscription for the next you know, month or whatever, that communicates something. If I also don't or if I send a note or a memo or if I retweet or if I promote other, you know, really kind of more innovative sites, all of that matters if collectively we're doing it. So we, yeah. we have the power to change the change the tidal wave here. That's right. I mean, the buck stops with the buck in your pocket. I mean, it's all about them with a buck in your pocket. That's what they want. And, and it's where you put that. And as you very correctly say, it's actually talking about really innovative solutions, saying, hey, wow, this is really good. This is worth doing. The, the, the Internet is one big word of mouth machine and, and, it's, and word of mouth can spread like wildfire. So if you can actually you know, sort of endorse and, and share the word about really great quality content, then that's going to be good for the, good for the publishers and good for publishing in general. 
That's brilliant. I, uh, Paul, we appreciate you being on, and and I appreciate too you just calling it what I think it is. It's it's just dumb. So let's go do smart marketing, right? Let's go let's go build a consensus. Let's go build a, bu- a group of followers, and let's treat each other well. And then hey, we'll all make money. It sounds like a great idea. Paul, you're the man. Thanks, my friend. And uh, everybody, go to viralculture.com. That's Paul's website where you can get more information about content marketing for the mind. Also, uh, go check out some of his books, Connected Marketing and the Social Commerce Handbook. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, uh, get into a little bit more news and continue the discussion of marketing. And remember, hello, because if you're a marketer, you're making these decisions too. Remember, you you still have to get the people. It's not just enough to get them to see it. You got to want them to buy it without being offended. It's a tough trick. It's a tough dance. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The Uberfication of Everything. That's our last guest's newest book that he's working on. The Uberfication. Just the word Uber. What a great word. Let's just make this the Uber show. We Uberfy everything. By the way, James is preparing. He's he's calling it the Uberfication of all weddings. Is that what we're calling it, James? Uh, maybe from this point on. Do you feel uh, you've ever been duped, James, by a marketer? Other than obviously the knife people that sold you those knives. Other than that, by the way, I've told you about Knife TV on the weekends. Yes, it's a good channel. You still watching it? Love Knife TV. I... Wife's not a fan of Knife TV. Yeah. I don't seem to care. Now, Knife TV, let's just be clear. It's it's an infomercial show yes. where they sell knives. It's not... Um, I have I have DirecTV. Yeah. They purchase a channel, and from their studios in what I'm going to assume just for myself, a yeah. mobile home park somewhere, soon to be hit by a tornado, <laughs> they sell knives. And the whole point is you buy knives in bulk, and then you go to the swap meet... And you sell them for, and you buy them for a dollar and sell them for yeah. ten bucks a piece. You know what? I tried to watch that show after you brought that. Every up Every single time. set comes with a samurai sword, or some just obnoxiously large survival hunting knife with compasses and the yeah. handle, and yeah. But I can't watch it. I can't watch the show. I can't watch a show where the host, every host, is missing like two fingers. I can't watch it. It is. It's just. I. I only watch it for maybe a minute. But it's enough just that my wife comes it's unglued. enough to make the call. Yeah. I'm like, this is this is some quality <laughs> material here. They have like a zombie collection of knives so you can you know survive oh, wow. the zombie apocalypse. And it's just some themed things that are kind of humorous. Do they have a patriotic collection? Yes. They always have flags. There's uh, stuff made out of, uh, they call them this, uh, like a stag collection. Oh. So it's made oh, out of I antlers. Lo- yeah, and yes. Yeah. They're handcrafted. I love and, the stag collection. Yeah, then they just have hatchets for some reason and- 
They're never like cooking knives. They're always no. just oh, like no. you're you're just going to go hunting yeah, or deer gutting knives. Yeah, deer gutting knives. Fishing know, knives. You, you could cook co- cook with those. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, like cutting up some vegetables with a hatchet. I want to cut tomatoes with a samurai sword. That's really what I want to do. You haven't? No. What do you do at night? My wife and I cut tomatoes with a samurai sword, which is it has to be very sharp. Yes. To cut a tomato. And mm-hmm. they always go, "Caution, these are sharp." Like, They're knives. Yeah. We got it. I like. No, I, I always like something. the ad where they they cut a you know piece of steel or rebar, and that then, and that of course it's all marketing. Yeah, it's the home shopping of it's knives. The infomercial. Watching a guy go go on and on and on about a knife. It's just it's really but amazing. That, see, that's the point because in an infomercial, you know you're being sold to yes. at three in the morning. This is like two o'clock in the afternoon. But when but I, yes. well, yeah. When, oh my goodness. <laughs> When I'm doing, you start early. When I'm watch, when I'm just reading a news article, I want to know I'm being sold to. I also, right. if I can cut a tomato so thin that I could read through it, and then cut a, a nail. Yeah, cut a nail in half. Why? Why would I read through a tomato? Is my absolutely question. yeah. And I don't read through tomatoes. I just speaking of marketing, hmm? this time of year, baseballs just getting ready to baseballs. opening day yeah. is a few weeks away. Although all the different ballparks in Major League Baseball, even some minor league parks, start putting out what their new menu items are. <laughs> so we get these just absurd combinations of food that's just going to clog your arteries yeah. and could kill you. Or just numb you from the I long don't know. game. The Miller Park, right? It's a home of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yes. They announced recently the, the, what they call the Inside the Park Nachos. Mm. They feature a stick of beef. Loaded with refried beans, rolled in crushed Doritos, then oh. deep fried and drizzled with sour cream and cheese. Heaven. Uh, by the way, a stick of beef? A stick of beef. What exactly is a stick of beef? It just says stick of beef. That could sounds that, horrible. It could be, it's mystery meat. But then again, it's covered in Doritos and cheese and deep fried. It doesn't matter what it is oh, at that point. Did you taste that stick of beef? <laughs> Another new one on the menu, down Wisconsin Avenue brought. 18-inch brat, covered in gravy, Mm. French fries, cheese curds, cheese sauce, fried sauerkraut, and jalapenos. Then topped off with sour Mm. cream and chives. It costs 20 bucks. And with every brat, you get a medical alert bracelet. (laughs) I've fallen because I ate a brat. I can't move. The third item on the menu. Yes. The Miller Park Brachos, (laughs) which consists of four sausages. Chorizo. Italian, Polish, and bratwurst. So those four. Chorizo. Chorizo. I said it wrong. Mm. My wife was trying to coach me last night. I messed it up then, yeah, too. Chorizo. All right, so you got four different kind of bratwursts. Uh. They're all chopped up, served on a, mm-hmm. on kettle chips, sour cream, jalapenos, and sauerkraut. So nachos with four types. What are those called? Of, they're called the uh, Miller Park Brachos. Brachos. Oh, James, didn't you have a bracho once? Yeah, it was pretty painful. Was it? Yeah. But they just incised it and... Yeah, yeah, it worked out pretty well. No, I don't. I don't think this is new. This may be one from last year, but the Arizona Diamondbacks mm-hmm. were serving a churro dog, which is a churro inside a donut bun topped with frozen yogurt sundae. Wow! That so it's good. dessert. A churro dog. A churro, a donut bun topped by a frozen yogurt sundae. Heaven. These they they these start coming out. You're like, what are these people eating? But this is the extreme. Of the menu. There's still hot dogs. You know, because James and uh, Montgomery are trying to decide what food to have for their wedding. Brachos. 
Yeah. You the, need brachos. Or stick of beef with a bunch of goo on it. What's that called? What was the first one? The stick of beef one? In the, the inside the park inside, nachos? Yeah. yeah, I'd do one of those. I'd either do inside the park nachos or I would do the brachos. Churro dogs sound good too. Now the question is, I read these. Mm-hmm. Is this native advertising? No. Because I'm not getting anything for reading these. No, this is this is just Is a, this a public service for your health? This or? is a deeper look at the crazy things humans do. Okay. It's probably public relations. Could it, be. I, I see it as a public service. People now could be we, injured by these. We want to go to Miller Park. You know what I mean? We want to go there or we want to go to the Diamondback Stadium. Get the churro dog. You got to go early because those teams sometimes by midway through the season tend to drop off. You know why? Because they've killed their audience by serving brachos. Brachos. If you want people, see, this is goes back to the dumb idea. If you don't want, if you want to have an audience, you can't kill them. You can't kill them with native advertising, and you can't kill them with a stick of beef. Kill them with kindness, not cholesterol. Kill them with incredible playing on the field, for heaven's sakes. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Hour number one. It's in the can, my friends. We'll be back with hour number two. This is the Matt Townsend Show, giving you the tools for life right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, your coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can to help you grow healthier, happier lives, trying to give you the information you need from the, and the stories you need. We always, you know, you always hear the news, but what does it all mean? Today we got a great show. Uh, we're going to be talking about rejection. Did you know that rejection... Being rejected temporarily lowers your IQ, also known as it makes you stupid. When you get rejected, you do stupid things, which is why we try to limit rejection. It would depend on the rejection, I think. Yeah. If it's something you really care about, yes. If you don't care or if you, I guess, become numb to the rejection. Yeah. Like if you're in sales... You're probably going to have a lot of rejection. True. And you can't let that affect you. But then some would say that actually impacts the the IQ of a salesperson. Because like, oh, see, now, I've, now you're now I've you're met some salespeople. That could be true. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've, I've had people try to sell me something in a way that I'm like, are you seriously trying to sell me that way? Like guilt me, mm-hmm. scare me, get me to compete with my neighbor. I always love that. Your just, neighbor signed up. Which neighbor? Uh, we can't disclose that information. So well, why did you bring it up if you can't share it with me? How it sub- depends on the neighbor because if well, it was yeah. Jim over here, Jim's an idiot. I got to judge off the neighbor apparently, so you got to tell me who it is. That was funny. That guy just looked at me like, what? And then he left. <laughs> did he? Have a good day, sir. Don't you love it? If you're not uh, watching the um, simulcast of the show, you don't know that – well, A, we don't have a simulcast. But B, you don't know that we have windows so people can walk by and they look in. And I feel like – It's a fishbowl. I feel like an otter at yeah. the zoo. They're like, whoa, look at him. Look at the cute we, we otter. Need, we need to put a thing up. Do not tap on the glass. It will scare us. We probably <laughs> – <laughs> please do not tap on the glass. Uh, 
it's a uh, it's a crazy news day again. Just to get you caught up, um, deliberate is what they're saying about the airplane crash. They're being uh, watching. We've got the TV on behind us here, but they're having a press conference in France, and they're being really careful to say it's not a suicide, not suicide. So the only other thing it could be was murder. Yep. And right? it, so it can't be. It, they're making sure not to if say. If 150 other people died, it's not a suicide. Right. And it wasn't an accident. No. It was on purpose. It wasn't suicide. Tragic, nonetheless. 150 souls. Mm. One of the things, interestingly, in that press conference is just imagine being the family. It was the co-pilot that locked out the pilot. Imagine just being the family of, like, the co-pilot, that you're like, oh, boy. This is the, the German wings airliner yeah. that crashed in the French Alps. I mean, again, that goes with you forever. Just like if, you're, if, you know, if your child murdered somebody or hurt somebody, we, we never think of the families that also have to go through that and mourn not just the loss of their child but the fact that their child caused such pain for so many people. That's the power we have as humans uh, to not only help and, and benefit, but also to hurt. In other news, uh, I talked about earlier, well, I think it was last week, we t- oh, it was this week, we talked about Yemen, and we've lost $500 million in military yeah. equipment, vehicles, because of the unrest and the possible like yeah. almost civil war situation that's going on in that, that uh, country. The president of Yemen, who is a a friend of the United States, has left. He left the country by boat. He came under fire. Aircraft was, were firing on his compound, I guess. I wonder where that aircraft came from. <laughs> I think it was probably those lost airplanes from America. So the uh, the Houthi rebels are the ones that are, are taking the city. So he had to get out as they're coming after oh, wow. him specifically. Yeah, Yemen the, is falling. The country has had uh, mounting internal strife since Shia rebels toppled a Sunni-led government in January. The response, Saudi Arabia, led by Sunnis, uh, is reportedly massing troops on the border. I saw reports that they have moved across the border and are attacking. Here we go. They, uh, the uh, rebel group has taken a U.S. base that was used for staging drone attacks in Yemen, which is near the border with Saudi Arabia, which is why Saudi Arabia is all concerned because now they have this right. staging point. And so they're moving across trying to you know, attack that way. Well, think of that. How many times did we go to war because the Saudis wouldn't engage their military and just allowed us to do it? Uh, interesting thing, though, a little dynamic here is now the Saudis are engaging. But as it in said, war. Shia rebels toppled the Sunni led government. And Saudi yeah. Arabia, led by Sunnis, Sunnis, so it's more religious well, it is. at this point. See, so watch how interesting, but the, and they're actually acting on it. This wasn't this the issue is forever we kept in, in you know injecting ourselves into a war that is about tribes, yes, and faith and faith groups or faith divisions, and it's not governments. And so, so. you know, maybe there's a little sanity here to staying out long enough to let the players that are really involved start playing. U.S. officials have said the secret security files contained information on U.S. intelligence operations have been seized by Yemeni rebels. Officials believe another batch of files have been handed over to Iranian advisors. The files are believed to contain the names of informants, plans for U.S.-backed counterintelligence operations, and more. Oops. Yeah. So we lost a half a billion dollars worth of gear. And those really important files. Yes, that have names and dates and all that kind of stuff. It seems like we we shouldn't have been surprised enough to leave the or lose the files. Like it should have yeah. been like, oh, I think this is happening. I don't know. 
or we have all those planes in the region. Maybe we bomb our own places after we get our people out. Yeah. <laughs> Just to kind of – What's with like – didn't um, didn't Inspector Smart or Inspector Gadget, whoever – who was it uh, that had the self-destructing messages? The minute he heard the message – Mission Impossible. Bomb, yep. uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah. What's the guy's name in Mission Impossible? I don't know. Anyway, this message will self-destruct. How come we don't have just files that Ethan will just... Hunt. Ethan Hunt. Ethan right. Hunt. Bing. Well, that's bing. Tom Cruise's character, not the Tom original Cruise, guy. Tom Cruise. Bing. Uh, we should have self-destruct. Take a note, James. Okay. I want to trademark this. Okay. Uh, Sorry, one second. I have to sharpen my pencil real quick. Okay. Wow. Ready. Now you're writing on the chalkboard with your pencil. Yeah. It's a new chalkboard. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Note to self. Yep. Uh, trademark special destruction of messages after they're read, aka Mission Impossible, uh, and use them to destroy files when we are run out of Yemen. Alrighty. Someday in the future. Trademark that. Meme it. Bumper sticker. On Wednesday, House Republicans pushed through a budget that prescribes trillions in budget cuts over the next decade in order to eliminate deficits. Yay! We're getting rid of junk. The budget calls for $5 trillion in cuts, a repeal of President Obama's health care law, and changes to the tax code and Medicare. Okay. And <laughs> breeding of unicorns. The Associated Press calls details of the budget sketchy, oh, but notes boy. that most of the savings would come from Medicaid, food stamps, and welfare. Okay, let me get this straight. We're going to change and fix the deficit Yes. by throwing all of the people on welfare off. There you go. Huh. Something about bootstraps and pulling yourself up by them. Seems Except like... have you ever tried to pull yourself up by bootstraps? You know, I've actually never had a boot with a strap. Yeah, that's the other thing. So it's kind of a, a Can, lost Do strapless boots term. work? I don't know. But interesting. Uh, so this is just a proposal that obviously will fail. Yes. And yet we can say we tried. It's purposely inflammatory to the other party who mm-hmm. won't agree or cooperate. But when you when you control both the House and the Senate. Wouldn't it also just – isn't there an assumption that everybody on welfare just is – A freeloader? A freeloader. That's kind of the idea. Okay. Uh, hmm. I but don't think that's going to work. I don't know. We'll see. The Senate is expected to propose its budget bill by the end of the week. Yesterday was the fifth anniversary of, of Obamacare. President Obama was yeah. out Yay, talking about how it's working. Recent polling shows that a narrow margin more Americans disapprove of uh, the Affordable Care Act than before, than approve of it on the fifth anniversary, but that margin is very small. Mm-hmm. So it's people are becoming more aware of what, uh, I guess, the benefits of it versus the negative things that have been talked about well, for yeah. several years. So well, and, well, and and so and there's also going they're probably becoming aware of some of the negatives. Like there's now going to be fees and fines if you don't sign up, which haven't yep. existed yet. President Obama said this law is also saving lives. It's working despite countless attempts to repeal, undermine, defund, and defame. According to the president, the Republican agenda aims at kicking millions of families off insurance plans. House Speaker John Boehner accuses the president of raking promises he made to the American people. Hmm. Just, you know, those are the two sides of that so argument. So those two are fighting? For the last, what, six years? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, boy. So uh, just an update. Nothing has changed. So everybody rest easy. When it comes to Washington, D.C., everything is still exactly the same. Uh, Apparently we still have, you know, 
people on welfare that are just mooching. And Obamacare is working perfectly. According to your point of view, yes. It seems like. Others might not think so Two extreme positions, neither true. (sighs) The joy of politics. But let's talk about something else. Coming up is Guy Winch, an author, a blogger from Psychology Today. He's going to be talking about rejection and the surprising facts about rejection, what it does to us, why we are so afraid of it so many times, and how it may actually temporarily lower your IQ. Guy Winch will be with us after the break. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Hey, friends. Welcome back to the show. By the way, this is a show that will never reject you. Even if you're a reject, we will never reject you. We're talking about rejection today. You know, it's something that we deal with every day. Maybe it's somebody doesn't like your post on Facebook. Another person doesn't say hello to you. Maybe you just got dumped by a girlfriend or a boyfriend. But would it surprise you to learn that the pain you feel from rejection actually registers in the same area of your brain as physical pain? Or did you know that this rejection temporarily lowers your IQ? Here to help us better understand rejection and how to overcome it is Dr. Guy Winch, writer of the Squeaky Wheel blog on Psychology Today. Also, you can go to his website, guywinch.com. Dr. Winch, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you back on. Now, talk to us about rejection. Um, it seems like nobody loves to be rejected anyway. But but what is it? You've, you've learned a lot uh, that maybe just the average person doesn't know about rejection. What are some of its effects? Well, actually, rejection affects us in really all kinds of ways, and some of them very uh, deeply and, and surprisingly. As you mentioned in your opening, um, it registers in the brain as physical pain. Literally, when you do functional MRI scans of people who are uh, reliving a rejection and people who are in physical pain, they're going to look almost identical, hmm. which is kind of stunning um, because it explains, in a way, why rejections really hurt and why even small rejections that we might consider insignificant and silly actually hurt. And just one other thing, in, in, in some of the experiments about rejections, uh, and when they do experiments, they put people through an actual rejection experience. And in some of these experiments, they actually told them afterwards, okay, that was fake. That rejection that happened was rigged. And when they asked them after telling them that actually the rejection wasn't even real, it was rigged, how they felt, people still felt hurt and emotional pain Hmm. and angry and and, and a blow to their self-esteem, even after finding out it was fake fake because it registers so strongly. So it's really... It's it, it's it is physical. I mean, it, to our brain, it feels like physical pain. That's probably why we use frames uh, or phrases like, "Ooh, she stabbed me in the back," or "She broke my heart." Um, I mean, those those elicit like physical pain. Right, and actually the expression hurt feelings is what we actually associate most with rejection, and it's the same expression in almost every language in the world to describe that scenario because exactly what you just said, because it registers in that way, so that using the words of hurt 
is is used in almost every language and every euphemism to describe it. It's interesting, too, what you just taught us is it defies logic. So it doesn't matter if logically it was even just a joke or fake. It doesn't matter to you because you're, you have felt the pain, you still feel the pain. Right. Now, that's very important for people to know because, for example, if you're sitting, you know, in your dorm or in the cafeteria or somewhere and a group of people you're not even that interested in um, but you know is, is getting together and going to do something without you, you might feel rejected and you might feel hurt and, and you'll experience it. Now, in your head you're going, I don't even like them. <laughs> Who are they? Me, I might yeah. not even want to go. Why does it bother me? And then if you don't know the why, which is that that's how it registers in the brain, then you'll start to fill in the gap with all kinds of incorrect and damaging thoughts like, well, maybe I'm a loser, maybe I'm just something that's wrong with me, maybe I'm weak, maybe all those interpretations that we can add in if we don't know the actual facts oh. could be extraordinarily damaging uh, to our self-esteem and make us feel much worse when there's no reason for us to feel worse. So part of it, I guess, then, is when we're having that pain moment, that feeling, we, we also then make up more stories about it that might make it worse. Well, we do worse than that even. I mean, yes, we make up stories about it to understand why we're hurting so much, and that can make it worse. But then our most common response to rejection is to go on a search-and-destroy mission with our self-esteem. In other words, if you did get dumped by your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or frankly, um, even if you were just online and uh, you wrote to somebody online and they didn't respond, or you, 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 you know, then they, or you posted your pictures on, on, on Facebook or, or, or you know, Instagram and no one liked them, then we start to say things like, I'm such a loser, if only I mm. was taller or richer or blonder or smarter or faster. You know, we start going through all our faults. We start going, through, this is especially true with romantic rejections, yeah. all our faults and all our shortcomings. And so what we're doing in that scenario is we, we, we just got wounded because of the rejection. And now we go and self-inflict much more damage than even the original wound inflicted. Mm. And which I'm assuming then we'd build up, you know, a wall, we'd build up some barrier to future rejection. Well, and the, yes, but the, the, we don't do it healthily. In other words, no, the, no, the yeah. typical response to that is by avoidance. In other words, okay, fine, so I'm not going to go on that website again. Yeah. Or I'll take some six months of dating, as if you need six months of dating for whatever reason. Or if, avoidance. And then the more you avoid something, psychologically, this is a truism, the more you avoid something, the scarier it seems. Mm-hmm. And so you're actually making yourself more anxious. And then let's say if it's in the dating scenario, more likely to be preoccupied and self-conscious when you finally do go on the next date, not be yourself, and then actually make it more likely that you'll be rejected. Again. It's so interesting. Talk about how, how did our brain get to the point that it takes a concept like rejection and makes it the equivalent of amputation in a way? I mean, it, it feels like a physical pain. Why would our brains do this? So the, the assumption is that when we were living in, in tribes, uh, when we were hunter-gatherers, um, and uh, then, and and even when we were in small communities, the, the the risk of being ostracized from your tribe it was pretty much a death sentence. People couldn't survive alone. I mean, we're we're social animals, and so we you know we can't survive alone. So if you are ostracized, if you are kicked off the island, as it were, you would die. And so there was an advantage for people who had an early warning mechanism for this. And the early warning mechanism is people who responded to rejection. Um, you know, as, as, as having more pain, were more likely to correct their behavior 
and then not get kicked out of the tribe and live to pass along their genes, wow. while those who did not experience things as painful, a rejection as painful, didn't correct their behavior and pro- probably did not pass along their genes. And then over many, many generations, it becomes a much bigger advantage for those who experience rejection as most painful. Now, in the realities of today, you know, and there are a lot of things like that that we, we developed in a certain way or we developed habits and mechanisms that worked great when we developed them, but we're stuck with them now and they don't work as well. And this is one of them. It's so fascinating. I mean, it's, so we've, we've evolved this uh, rejection as a tool to maintain to, or to increase our social adaptability, our, our social correction. And, yeah. um, and yet, oh, it's powerful because then the idea behind rejection is social. It's social inclusion. You want to belong in order to uh, to not die historically. But we may not need that same level of inclusion, do we, today? Well, we actually do. We have this need to belong, as you said. It's an actual need. It's a measurable one, and it's one we fundamentally have. Now, different people have it in different, you know, amounts, of course, but it's something we all fundamentally have. You know, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we can't be alone. Loneliness is actually an incredibly dangerous uh, for our health and for our mental health. But so, so yes, we, we need to belong. And in fact, one of the things I recommend in, in my book about rejection um, is that when people experience it, one of the first things they can do that will help alleviate the pain they're feeling is to reconnect with a core group that appreciates them, values them, loves them, and makes them feel as though they belong because our need to belong gets, uh, you know, this gets uh, uh, you know, a bit uh, dislodged when, when we experience a rejection. Mm. So to actually soothe that need, or, you know, I say to parents, if your kid just got bullied at school, or, you know, the first thing to do is invite a couple of good friends of theirs over for a play date or to hang out, um, because they need that reminder that their social group does accept them, and there is a social group that does. So that's an important thing to do. That's important advice. We're talking with Dr. Guy uh, Winch from the website uh, Psychology Today. On Psychology Today, he has a, a popular blog that um, is called The Squeaky Wheel, and um, he also is the author of the book Emotional First Aid, Healing Rejection, Guilt, and Failure, uh, it's it's just a great resource. We're going to take a break, come back, and continue our discussion here about uh, rejection and the need to belong, the need to know that uh, that you belong to a safe core group. It's interesting stuff, folks. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about rejection today. Have you ever suffered rejection? Whether it's a job loss, maybe you've been let go from a job, maybe you didn't get on the team you wanted to get on, maybe, uh, you know, someone you care about said they're done, they're tired of it. Maybe it's even just your kids don't call anymore, right? Rejection, it comes in many, many forms. What if I told you that all you need to do is go take some Tylenol? Some Tylenol. Go take some acetaminophen. That'll take care of it. 
Would you believe that it actually would help? Weird. Weird. But that, according to um, our guest today, Dr. Guy Winch is joining us. He is a uh, blogger on Psychology Today and is the author of the Squeaky Wheel blog. He's also written a few books, Emotional First Aid, Healing Rejection, Guilt, Failure, and Other Everyday Hurts. And uh, he's joining us today, Guy Winch. Thanks for being with us again. It's my pleasure. So is that true that Tylenol can actually reduce the pain of rejection? (laughs) Well, uh, okay, yes, but. uh, There you go. (laughs) I have to say something about both. The yes part is, yes, because rejection uh, activates the same uh, brain mechanisms responsible for physical pain, uh, researchers thought, well, let's do a study. Let's, you know, put people through a rejection experience, give half of them Tylenol and half of them a sugar pill, not tell them which, (laughs) and see if the people who receive the Tylenol repeat less emotional pain after the rejection, which they did. Weird. Proof of concept. However... That is not the same to say that um, you need to go packing Tylenol when you go on a date or uh, in that kind of scenario, because the fact that it made it a little less painful for some people doesn't mean, you know, it's actually the the, the best uh, treatment. I also think that if you are packing Tylenol on a date for that purpose, you're going in with a little bit of a pessimistic mindset, (laughs) which you should probably address more urgently than the Tylenol. That's exactly. So then it self-fulfills, probably. Uh, Exactly. Talk about some other surprising facts that you've learned about Rejection. I mean, you put a list of 10 together that you can, people can find on psychology today. What are some more uh, interesting learnings? So we, we spoke about the fact that, um, um, that rejection, uh, did we talk about the fact that it lowers our IQ? Yeah, we talked about it a little bit, but does it really, or is that just we're reacting to that in that moment? Talk about that a bit. Look, uh, when, when you're feeling pain of any kind, your ability to focus and concentrate and pay attention is going to be compromised. And so because it elicits pain, it's going to impact your ability to think clearly. Um, it also elicits um, surges of anger and aggression. Uh, in fact, there was a report by the Surgeon uh, General from uh, over 10 years ago now, but, but they, they examined this link between rejection um, and anger and aggression. I think the report was from 2001. And, and they found that rejection was a, a greater risk for adolescent violence mm. um, than drugs, poverty, uh, or even gang membership. In other words, people who experience chronic multiple rejections were more at risk of becoming aggressive and violent than those other factors, if they had those other factors going on. Oh, and it's something we don't really keep in mind, but when you get rejected um, you know, at work in some kind of way, and then you come home and you kind of feel like kicking the dog, uh, and I, you, know, you should not, um, or being short with your kids or whatever it is, um, you have to understand you're feeling irritable and aggressive because of the rejection experience, and you have to, and this is the thrust of my book, and, and, and um, yeah, I also gave a TED talk about it, that, that the idea is that we have to be aware of how these common emotional wounds impact us, because we're walking around in the world unaware, and we're responding to them in all the wrong ways, because we're not aware of actually what got triggered in our minds, in our bodies, you know, in our, in our, in our psychology. And so it's really important to, to understand what happens, because all kinds of things happen, yeah. and we need to address them. Well, just even in my office yesterday, I, I have a client that um, whenever their partner rejects them and rejects affection, they go off. And um, and I'm sitting there now that as you're talking about this, that I would I never even put the word rejection of affection. It's 
but simply, if all of a sudden a, a person feels like they're being rejected from love because their partner won't hug on them, and uh, that right there could be this pattern that they're not even paying attention to or even connecting it to the depth of rejection. Okay, but that's such an important point that you raise. It's really, really true. And here's the problem with it. The problem with it, we assume that if we're in a marriage, a long-term stable relationship, rejection shouldn't be, you know, isn't part of the deal. Right. They're married to us, so we don't interpret our responses as a response to rejection. But even within the best marriages, there are many, many uh, small rejections, which of intimacy, of sex, of, of communication. Or, of, yeah. Yes, and, 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 you know, this one reaches out, this one's not interested. So they're not that big deals, but when they happen a couple of times in a row, then mm-hmm. they can start to hurt. And then we have to be aware that, yes, we can feel rejected by the people, even when we're convinced they love us. We can still feel rejected. It can still feel hurt. We can still feel hurt. We yeah. can still be angry because of it. And we have to understand that that's what's going on. And, and I love that you talked about it because we then go on a, a mission to destroy self-esteem. We, we probably could also go on a mission to become a negative interpreter, to only look for the negative data that's going to keep reinforcing rejection. So that, that would actually keep us stuck in a pattern of more of the same, Right. Absolutely. And, 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 and we find the wrong interpretation. You know, it's like one thing I see in my office a lot is that one, one member of a couple will report that, you know, they, they keep getting rejected sexually. And, and, and their immediate thought is, I've put on weight, I don't look mm. good, they're no longer attracted to me. And the other person will sit there and say, you keep trying at three in the morning, I have <laughs> to get up for work, it's not going to happen. That's true. It's completely not about, uh, you know, attraction, it's just about timing. But we will automatically go and think it's something wrong with us. And actually ache and be in pain because of the rejection. And be angry and then uh-huh. want to hurt the other person back because they hurt us. It starts a whole negative dynamic. It's uh, One of the things I know that you mentioned, and it probably is part of this cycle, is we, we tend to exp- or relive and re-experience social pain even more vividly than physical pain. And I thought this was brilliant. I- explain that. And you even take them through a scenario. Take us through... That, that process. So look, if, if, you, if you ever broke a limb, if you sit down and think back to the time that you broke your leg, you had a horrible toothache, you know, whatever it was, um, your leg won't start hurting. Right. Your, your tooth will not start hurting as a result of that thought process. You remember, oh yeah, it was really painful. But if you sit down and start thinking about the time you, you got dumped by someone you really cared about, in that moment where you're thinking about it, you will start to feel really bad you will start to experience a significant dollop of the pain, of the hurt, and everything else that went on at that time. Mm. And so emotional pain, unlike physical pain, we can bring to mind very, very easily, and we can bring it back yeah. very, very easily. Now, there's a huge implication there, because when, when, when you, you know, a lot of times when we're talking to friends, we'll kind of take that road down memory lane, without realizing that's going to put us in a really, really bad mood. Let's decide consciously and thoughtfully whether that's the best time to relive that breakup or that bad experience, because we'll actually feel terrible for it. And so, but we, we do it willy-nilly, and, 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 and we're not aware that we're about to put ourselves in a really bad mood, except at the end of it, we'll be like, oh, I'm kind of feeling a little, you know, not great right now. <laughs> yeah. But we have to be aware that that's how emotional pain responds. It gets reactivated and makes us feel bad all over again. And that 
that moment. And, and it's so just tied to the thought, really, because e- even in your uh, even in your blog, you, you made a joke. Don't really go try that because you'll really feel it. Don't go think about that bad feeling again. Right. But it really is just it's as simple as just the thought. And if we don't pay attention to, to our thinking about this, we will just keep reinforcing the pattern. It's a thought. Right. And now I learned that the hard way. I learned that when I was giving talks and I would do the little experiment about, you know, who here broke a limb? Think back. Now think back to this. And suddenly the next 10 minutes, yeah. no one was You've lost anything him. I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> they were all in their own head. And I'm like, no, no, come back, come back. And I stopped doing that little exercise. That's great. That wasn't working for me. It's true. That's so great. So tell us what we should do. What do we do? We're all we're going to experience rejection. So how do we go about experiencing it? In a healthy way, how do we heal? How do we treat some of the psychological wounds? So first, you know, just to know that this is what happens to us, and it's happening for that reason, and therefore not for another reason, such as you, you know, you're not attractive, you're a loser, you're weak, whatever. So so just knowing what's happening is very important. And then we have to actually address um, the wounds that we sustain. This is true of any kind of emotional wound. We actually have to address it. The idea is if if you get a cut... If you get a cold, you know to put a Band-Aid on, you have your medicine cabinet, but we sustain psychological wounds as often as we do physical ones, except we don't do anything about them. We leave the cut bleeding, you know, we leave the sprain and keep using that muscle and it gets worse. So you have to understand the wounds and then you have to address them. You know, the the self-esteem wound, you have to first of all, you know, turn off that tap and not make it worse, because really the bulk of the damage is self-inflicted, so at least... Don't go into your head and make it worse. And there are all kinds of ways you can understand what happened that actually, um, you know, won't make it worse. So if it was a romantic breakup and the person says to you, it's not you, it's me, our natural tendency is to go, no, it's actually me anyway. Mm-hmm. But no, believe them. No, it, it, it is probably them. They do probably have commitment issues, this issue, that issue. Why should I think there's something wrong with me when it's perfectly fine to think there's something wrong with them? Right. And, and that will hurt me less. And since it's not going to happen with them anyway, who cares? So <laughs> put true. it on them. Don't put it on yourself. Don't, don't feel, you know, think these things are a match. You know, if you applied for a job and you got through several rounds, people tell me this all the time. I just felt so rejected because I didn't get the job. But then it turns out they were the number two candidate. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, it's disappointing you didn't get the job. But, you know, I say in my book, does the runner-up in Miss America feel like a horrible, horrible loser? Or does she say, wow, I'm number two? Yeah. That's not too bad because there were thousands and thousands. That's right. Isn't that so true? it's really a matter of your perspective. Now, you can choose to feel like I lost, or you can choose to feel like I did amazingly well, good for me. And that choice, it is a choice, will really determine how you feel, how you feel about yourself, and what the ripple effects are of the experiences that you have. Mm. It's so it's so rich, guy. I um I it's and it's also so natural to us, isn't it? We for some reason and do you have the answer? Why do we want to believe the negative story so badly? I, I do have the answer. What is uh, it? In general, unfortunately, uh, we uh, the, the, there was a much bigger uh, you know um, uh, gain in terms of evolution in, in, in spotting dangers, in keeping our eye on what can go wrong, had a much, uh, much bigger survival value than keeping our eye on what can go right. 
And so we are just, uh, we have just evolved to really focus on the negative much more naturally than we do the positive, mm. because that's where survival information came from. And so that's our tendency. We, we have to battle it. Like I said, we've developed all kinds of tendencies and habits that no longer serve us in the way they once did. We have to find ways to sidestep them, go around them, overcome them, uh, undo them. And, and that's what you know, uh, my work has really been about in terms of psychology. Uh, to, to really educate people about, yeah, this is what's not quite working, and this is what you can do about it to make sure it does work for That's you. powerful. What, uh, is there anything we can do when we are dealing with someone else that is rejected or has been rejected? What could we do to reinforce, and maybe more efficiently, if we can be, uh, help them through the process of rejection? I, I always believe in education. I always believe in, I mean, in other words, the information that we're talking about today, most people don't have. Right. And most people would find valuable in that moment. So when somebody's really hurting, to say to them, you know, I, re- you know, I heard about the study which shows that it really triggers the same mechanisms in the brain as, as physical pain, and, and even if we don't think we should feel bad, we are going to, um, it, it could be useful for the person, because uh, it could be useful for the person to say, you know, the most important thing is don't beat yourself up, because... Here's why you should focus on the faults of the other person rather than on yours. Anything like that, I think, would be helpful. Compassion would be helpful. Um, and and, and uh, I think that's the best we can do. I am, I am really for uh, educating people yeah. and getting the word out so that more people have this knowledge. I love it, too. And I also and just keep reinforcing their basic core human need to know that they belong, that they're loved, they're safe here. Absolutely. And one other thing I would like people to... Uh, be aware of. They can find a link to it on my website. But as I mentioned, I gave this TED talk uh, recently um, about the need to practice um, uh, emotional first aid, and I I, I termed it emotional hygiene. And I think it's a 17-minute talk, but I think it'll really illustrate to people uh, why it's so, so important to pay attention to these kinds of things. And, and, and I, the, the talk does start with baby pictures of uh, me and my identical twin brother. So there's a good, there's a good hook right at the beginning. <laughs> right there. That's uh, all you need. I right would there. suggest people to give it a look. Oh, that's great stuff. Dr. Guy Winch, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work and uh, keep writing on psychology today. And But go to the blog, everybody, guywinch.com. Winch is W-I-N-C-H, guywinch.com. And go check out that TED Talk. Uh, I watched it as well. Emotional first aid, just a wonderful tool for you. Interesting stuff, isn't it? We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, do a little coach's corner. I'm going to give you my take on what we're learning here, how to avoid, um, not, not avoid rejection. You need rejection. Some rejection is just part of life. It's, it's a tool, but how to maybe maximize um, your response to it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. What a great uh, lesson we just had on rejection. You know, nobody just loves a good rejection. Remember, there's a reason we've kind of learned to become this way, right? We, we've, we've, we've grown. We've learned. Our bodies have learned to adapt. And if you think back, a rejection by a group of people thousands of years ago it would be different than a rejection today. 
Today, if you're being rejected, you might just, you know, I'll just go to Facebook. Uh, I'll go to Twitter. And um, we could just kind of keep moving along to the next group. We can always, you know, adapt, adjust. But uh, our body is wired to have these chemical reactions to what's going on in life. And I love what uh, Dr. Guy Winch just told us. You have to almost – you have to become intentional about your life and about what you are doing and how you're thinking. And thinking is always so hard to work with because the only way to evaluate your thinking would be with your thinking, right? And some of us don't ever slow down enough to actually evaluate the thinking. We just get into these automatic responses, these – I call them behavior scripts. They're just – Ways that we think, and then we just keep, you know, using that energy of the initial rejection. We use that energy to go help us make up these stories that we keep perpetuating. And in the end, folks, the person that's going to get the beat down is you. And just because you feel like it's so intense and it's so real, the feelings don't make it more accurate, right? We have all felt something that we were sure. We were sure it was one way, and we later found out it wasn't. So notice how interesting that is with our body. Our body creates this chemistry that's so strong, that's so powerful, that's there to help you survive, uh, that it's going to make sure that you feel confident about your interpretations, even when they're wrong, right? Even when you're wrong, you can take a little bit of data and go a very long way with it. So part of the way I would just suggest that we work on this, and you can even work on it, and so what I coach my clients to do is um, watch and slow down the space and create a really big space between the data that you're experiencing in life and the interpretation that you make. Because, And I want you to distinguish there is a difference between data – the facts of life or whatever is going on in the situation and the interpretation. You could still be fired. The data would be they brought you into the office and they told you that you no longer have a job. That's the data. The interpretation you could make is that you're a loser, that nobody cares for you, that you're a horrible worker. Those are all interpretations you could make that would make sense because you were just fired. You also could gather other data that maybe wasn't even given to you at first. Like you might go – I had a a situation where a company had laid a bunch of people off. Nobody knew why. It was just kind of sudden. And sadly, they didn't even try to give them more data as to why they were laid off. But then two days later in the news, the story came out that that division was closing down. So they were let go because a division was closing not because they're a horrible person. Is that important information, by the way? (laughs) Yes. So anytime as a human that we can sit there and try to actually aggregate more data, gather more information, not just information that supports the belief that I'm a horrible, evil, stupid person because I lost my job, but other data and try to use that data because the more you have, the better, more clear your interpretation could be. So when you feel a moment of rejection, what if we just suggest spend some more time working on gathering data, gathering more information about what's going on? If you were just rejected by uh, you know, a girl you were dating, you could just feel horrible, like you're no good and you're horrible and pathetic, but you also might gather more data and find out, oh, she never goes on a second date. 
ever. She's been on two in her life. She may have even told you that while you were out with her. Oh, you know, it's really funny. I never go on second dates. And you're like, oh, that's hey, well, that's weird because you're so amazing. I don't see why you're not going. That might be important data to remember. It, at the end of the date when you're rejected and she's like, nah, there's not going to be a second date. Maybe the problem, like Dr. Winch was talking about, it's not always about you. More data. More data. That's why um, I've just seen if you want to truly influence another person, gather more data. Help them get more information about a situation. Help them see that there's other data and facts. You don't even have to go to interpreting it. See, that's why you're amazing because she's messed up. You don't have to make the interpretation. You can just give more data. Did you know that she's gone on 400 dates last year? And only two of them did she go on a second date. Just that data alone should help you create a better interpretation. Because eventually it's the interpretations I call – I say the interpretations are what make our feelings permanent because we are going to keep using that same interpretation. And if your interpretation is you're horrible at dating, oh, you're horrible at it, then you're going to keep believing that interpretation. Makes sense? So – and it's honestly one of the greatest skills I've ever seen to improve your relationships, to improve your life, and interestingly also to improve your leadership. Let's get more data. So instead of just quickly throwing out an interpretation of an event, gather more information. If you really are confused, gather as much information as you can and share it with somebody and then ask them, what should I be thinking about this? I went out with this woman last night. At the end of the date, I tried to ask her out on a second date. She said no. She's dated a lot of people. She doesn't tend to go on second dates. If you just went down all the information... You could, interestingly, if you just shared it with somebody else, they might come up with a completely different interpretation than you simply because they didn't go through the rejection. So that might be the benefit of sharing it with another person. Do you remember if you uh, were listening yesterday, I think it was yesterday or sometime this week, it's all a blur. Sometime this week, we talked to a professor here at uh, BYU that was doing research on loneliness and people that are lonely it's it's harmful to your health whether you want to be lonely or not or, or or alone it's not just being and feeling lonely it's actually being alone without a support group around you those people tend to um have more health issues they tend to not live as long simply because when we need people around us and now that we're learning about rejection That is kind of the evolution of the emotion of trying to make sure we fit in with the group. Rejection and the pain of it is trying to teach us something. And it's not always trying to teach us that we're a loser, a horrible, evil spawn of darkness. We might simply just be dealing with somebody that's got other issues too. We might also be um, needing to learn Maybe to choose better dates. Not always the easy date is, you know, the date that's the easy one for you to get and go out. Maybe that's not always the best kind of date you should get. There's just a lot of stuff we can learn. But one of the best ways, I think, to do it is to create some space between the data of life, the facts of it, of what happened to you, and So – and then your interpretation of it. So always sit down after you've been rejected and I just start making a list of the data, the facts, and then your interpretations. 
And the minute you start to distinguish the two, it's powerful. Also, by the way, if you're dealing with somebody that has been rejected or is harmful and hurting you emotionally, identify when they're talking, if they're talking from data, true, blue, factual information, or if they're just interpreting. And what you're going to find out in most arguments, we're just throwing out a bunch of interpretations. You're stupid. No, you're stupid. No, you don't care. No, I don't care. And it's all this interpretation. In reality, let's talk data. Let's leave the interpretation for further down the road, especially let's after that emotion subsides. Interesting stuff, my friends. Again, that's the Coach's Corner. We, we just want to give you the tools. You go live, but take these tools to make your life better. We're going to take a break. Come back for hour number three. When we come back, we're going to get into how to not just get swept away in life and uh, how to actually create vision and passion. That'll be up next hour, along with more information, more tools, and, of course, BYU Sports Nation. We're going to talk to the guys from that show, find out what's coming up on their show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide, your life coach on the side. Today, we, uh, you know, on the show, we always talk about topics that kind of relate to you, that matter to you, one way, shape, or form. Today, we've talked about rejection, we've talked about native advertising, and we've talked about that plane crash, that tragic plane crash in the French Alps. We're now finding out that uh, the co-pilot apparently locked the pilot out of the cockpit and then deliberately, apparently, allegedly, flew the plane into the mountain. So we want to – we're going to be talking about that uh, and we have – Dr. Paul Jenkins is going to be joining us. Again, it makes no sense, and we don't know enough information to know exactly what was going on and and what the motives were behind it. But we all deal with situations in our lives with people that are struggling, and uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about mental health, have Dr. Paul Jenkins give us some some insight into what we should be looking for in people that are struggling um, and maybe have some mental health pain or problems they're going through, and we'll get to him a little bit later. But first, let's do some headlines Supreme Court, they're in session. So we talked earlier yes. in the week about some of the uh, the uh, Texas license plate controversy that we uh-huh. were talking about and what can or cannot be put on a license plate. Another one in a 6-3 to three ruling, the Supreme Court decided Wednesday that lower court's decision to block a discrimination lawsuit against UPS by a pregnant worker were incorrect and that the woman had a right to have her case considered. Peggy Young sued after she said the company refused to accommodate doctor-ordered restrictions on how much weight she was allowed to lift on the job. Huh. And, and uh, Justin Stephen Breyer asked, in his majority opinion, why, when the employer accommodated so many, could it not accommodate pregnant workers at well, as well? Right. I worked at UPS. I was a supervisor at UPS. Were you pregnant? No. But when the doctor, when someone went to the uh, doctor and came back with restrictions, I was told... We have That's to it. we have to follow these restrictions because you can get in some trouble. Sure, but uh, as I read this story, the woman was told, 
that I'm sorry, but we can't, uh, you have to be able to do the job and we can't accommodate these restrictions because you're pregnant. You're not supposed to lift heavy weights. And so there's other things she could have done in the building, but they, and it sounds like maybe one or two uh, people made a decision and uh, stuck by a decision that was bad and got the company in trouble. But it, it, it it seems pretty cut and dry. She's pregnant. She's not supposed to lift. Yeah. You can have her go do more clerical work. Accommodate. Yeah. And instead they told her she continued to, you need to go lift these boxes and continue to work. This could be a scenario where now they're at the Supreme court because of a few people, not a, even a protocol. Yeah. Not it wasn't a company process. No, because I was, was I was trained, people. and that's not how they they wanted this handled. Can you imagine what goes on in the company? And this is the reality of dealing with a company. I, I it's see, a bunch of people. I see executives kind of pounding their head against the wall, like, "Why are we in court? No, <laughs> the you know. Supreme Court. Yeah, and it gets that far. But I mean, there's other. <laughs> so they've obviously. Yeah, so there's probably yeah. There's probably there's some other details. Other laws they're fighting for here. Other details they're worried about there. Hmm. A senior at Bo Chin High School in Louisiana, described by cl- classmates as a cool dude. Yeah. Managed to get the school's computer system to or get into the school's computer system and change dozens of grades. He allegedly raised the grades of his friends, changed others in exchange for money and or other forms of payment. Uh, he made he may have lowered some grades to some of the students that maybe he didn't like. Oh yeah, Jimmy. Forty five kids have been suspended so far. The best guess is the hacker got access to the system when a full time teacher gave the password to a substitute who then needed help logging into the system, and the cool dude was happy to lend a hand. I'll help you with that, Mrs. Jones, and keep the password so he could hack the system. And By the way, grades. was he the cool dude before or after? It's just how he was described by one student as a cool dude. Is that hacking? No, it's called gaining access. Hacking is somehow you, from outside, yeah. just bust your way in. Yeah, you figured out when, a when code. You, when you have the password, it's called stealing the password. But the story, they went, they made sure to use the word hacking repeatedly yeah. throughout it. It's not. This hacking. also might create a really strong argument for hiring better substitutes. Right. So that don't go directly and ask students how do I use passwords to gain the system that has mm-hmm. all the personal records of students. Yeah. She probably needed to go talk to someone on staff. That would probably be uh, – that's a great note right there. Just make that note, James. But who better to ask? A student. Okay. Who's the nice guy here? Well, that guy's a cool dude. All right. We'll talk let, to him. Let Timmy do it. But that was the other thing is they kept referring to him in the story as the cool dude. And by the way, the cool dude also maybe wasn't so cool because he would then go lower people's grades. Like, oh, would you call me, Jimmy? Really? You're a jerk. I Oh, yeah? You just failed Spanish. Oh, wow. Somebody <laughs> just failed English. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's, it's like ultimate power there, yeah. And this story I found really funny. What? Congressional law enforcement officials want to rein in the, fo- the growing number of parties in the Capitol during the annual Memorial Day and Fourth of July concerts. Yeah. According to a letter from the U.S. Capitol Police Board... That was sent to top congressional leaders this month. Authorities are concerned the parties hosted by lawmakers, their staffs and organizers of a nationally televised concert and fireworks have grown out of control, potentially dangerous in recent years. During 4th of July celebrations last year, the U.S. Capitol was overrun with heavy drinking partygoers. It wasn't the first time the building was filled with drunken revelers wandering the historic hallways during patriotic celebrations. The letter also mentioned the abundance of coolers. Wow. Uh, with wheels, they're dragging coolers <laughs> through the Capitol. Hello, Senator. And the breach of decorum amongst lawmakers. <laughs> <They're>... <laughs> wow. Drunken parties in the U.S. Capitol Are they on letting the 4th the of July in? and Memorial Day. 
Nobody parties like like our senators and legislators. Oh, can you imagine? They actually have to make rules for the parties. So the Capitol Police send this memo to the leadership of the Senate and the House so they can you know, advise their members to have proper behavior. Stop drinking in the yeah. Capitol, people. This is live audio from last year's Fourth of July party. But, you know, you, you have your... Your members of Congress and staff, your family comes in, yeah. you want to show them where you work. This is where daddy This is where daddy works. You were just out sitting in the park area watching fireworks with yeah. a blanket and a cooler, so you just drag that with you through. And then they said <laughs> the problem was is when you when you come up to a checkpoint, yeah. the security looks in everything, and they see that it's full of <laughs> beer or drinks or whatever, and, and it's seen as, this is okay, I'm on staff. And they let it through, and then it yeah. just turns into a, a party in I'm a senator. Congressman so-and-so's office, maybe the Downton Abbey office, who knows? Yeah, that was it. And that guy's showing his abs. And then there's some that are – you can just tell that what this is about. They're just trying to make it so that senators can't get into the Capitol in uh, like Bermuda shorts with white pasty legs. Because you know someone's in a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt and they got their their sandals and they're oh, just wandering crazy. around. crazy. Wow. Hey, uh, James, um, I, I understood like the Benny Hill music. That made sense. Yeah. What was with the cow uh, thing? What was that about? You know, how they probably tried to – if they're trying to sneak drinks in and everything for a party, they probably tried to sneak a cow or something. Is that like – that's our, that's our ambient noise for the outside party. Yes. <laughs> I think if, the, if they were actually trying to sneak in cows, apparently, livestock of all sorts, uh, that's probably why they needed this bill. Or this rule. Yeah, because when you start involving livestock in the party, that's yeah. when it really starts going uh, crazy. Senator, the cooler is fine. The bovine? Uh, the bovine's got to stay out here. <laughs> I'm on staff. What did you call my wife? No, no, no. wasn't talking about <laughs> oh. your wife, sir. Just wow. the actual cow behind you. That thing's got to stay outside. Interesting. So I, I found that funny. And then the fact that it was leaked to oh. a, a, a news organization. That then write, they wrote a 500 word article. <laughs> it went on forever. Just they had all these details and accounts ah. and reports from the Capitol Hill police. Yeah. Don't you think? That, rest assured, folks, if you've ever wondered if Congress is looking out for you, obviously. They obviously are because they're taking care of the Capitol. You just can't walk in there and you're Bermuda's. And your barnyard animals. And your beer. Interesting stuff, my friends. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, Dr. Paul Jenkins is going to be joining us. Great friend of the show. He's going to walk us through, just again, some of the interesting uh, stuff we have to deal with on this crazy big ball of mud. Mental health and uh, maybe what we could watch out for. how How we kind of create a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the crazy thing about life on this big ball of mud we call Earth 
is, you know, it's always changing. It's always, there seems to be pressure. Today we've already talked about rejection. And uh, also we've talked about the tragedy that took place in the French Alps with 150 souls dying uh, as an airplane crashed into the mountain, obliterated the airplane. Now, lately or today, we've been finding out more information about the co-pilot. The co-pilot, apparently, the pilot got up for some reason, probably, you know, just your typical needing to go to the bathroom, Mm. left the cockpit. And um, when he left the cockpit, the co-pilot, 28-year-old Andreas Lubitz, locked him out of the cockpit and... Didn't respond to any of his knocks, didn't respond to any calls from um, air traffic controllers. He also then changed the altitude of the plane and started a descent about 1,000 feet a minute, which eventually took him from about 30-something thousand feet down to 6,000 feet into the French Alps. Nobody knows Mm. exactly what happens. They don't know know that he – they don't know his mental health status. They don't know what his intentions were, what his motives were. He didn't say a word the entire time. So we don't know what happened. But because we had Dr. Paul Jenkins on the show today, I wanted him to just talk to us. And he, Paul, Paul's a good friend of the show. If you go to his website, drpauljenkins.com, he's a clinical psychologist, Ph.D., author of uh, the great book. Uh, what, how do we say it? Pathological. Pathological positivity. positivity. But, and I was going to say get into the four or 40 Ps that your alliteration. We'll get that later. Um, but here's the deal. I want you to talk to us, Paul, about um, A, a lot of people have to cope with that. Right. B, that makes everybody not trust anybody. You know, So all of a sudden we're all like, really? People may do that to other people? But then also there are people – apparently Andreas loved his job apparently. That's one thing we just heard or read. And – he had only he had had about 680 hours, so he's fairly young in the process, but trained, sure. skilled, had all the skills he needed. How do we um, how do we handle this, Paul? How, well, and and how do we handle people that aren't necessarily healthy out there mm-hmm. in our world? Mm-hmm. Because we will encounter them. Yeah, we even might be them. And a, a couple of things that I want to acknowledge right up front here. Yeah. We are using our imagination to process this thing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we're imagining what happened. We, we have evidence that what happened happened. Right. But we're imagining all kinds of things that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. And just notice that you're doing that. I'm not asking anybody to change that, but yeah. notice that you do it. That's part of human nature is – Absolutely. It's not always factual, which I talked about before the break. Sometimes it's just imagined. Right. Even, and sometimes it's the same time. We take facts and then we imagine. So what's the question that we're trying to answer? Why did this happen? Possibly, yeah. What's going to happen in the future? Okay, notice both of those questions don't have an answer. Right. So we've got to imagine something. And as we scramble to come up with it – and you'll see this on the news – as you watch it, people are speculating or, or trying to make conclusions or draw conclusions from what we do know. So they recover a box from this crashed airplane. Yeah. This, this box contains data about things that occurred, things that can be demonstrated. Yes, this happened. Right. 
So maybe they know that the door was locked. Maybe they know that. Yeah, that's some the of the data. They know we, he didn't know respond. They know people Whatever, were knocking. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of things we don't know. Right. Like what's going on in someone's mind. Especially because that guy, for example, didn't say anything. Right. So you really don't know. Matt, even if he does. Even if he had talked and ta- talked it all out, we still wouldn't know. Well, we know from 9-11 that people put themselves in position sometimes to do heinous things. Yeah. I had one of the guests on my show was uh, Frank Avignale, famous from the movie Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. And you remember he did all kinds of crazy heinous things yeah right? i mean he didn't he didn't go out and try to kill people but he, he was one of america's most notorious conmen he's not really proud of that by the way <laughs> good uh, but all this <laughs> happened before the age of 19 and he intentionally deceived and and frank told me on the show uh he said he goes through an airport almost every day of his life oh wow uh he travels a lot he speaks um and and he goes through the TSA security checkpoints and yada, yada, yada. He knows he can beat the system. And if you've seen the movie. He, the just, con man guy knows he can he beat the system. He knows he can beat the system, Matt, because the weak link in every system is the human mind. Yeah. But it's also the strongest link, and it's our only hope. He said the, the only reason we can reasonably expect any level of safety is because people choose to do the right thing. Mm. They choose to act in a moral way. That's the only thing that saves us. We can't go out there and say, look, we've got to find some way to prevent this thing from right. ever happening yeah, right. again. Right. Uh, well, Because you're we? still going to have the human mind, the human factor. You know what? A surefire way to prevent any aircraft disasters like this in the future is to eliminate <laughs> air travel. Right. Shut it down. It's, it's not safe. Let's just not do this anymore. Now, that's obviously a ridiculous solution. Right. But short of that, we have to trust each other. Matt, when I got on the road to come up here today to the studio, the only way I arrived here safely is because other drivers chose to do the right thing. Yeah. I had to trust them to do that because I put myself... At risk every time I get behind that wheel. And it's not going to serve us to just worry incessantly about what everyone else is doing. So do we have a choice? Yeah. And that's the point. See, our mind is asking not only why did this happen and how did this happen, which we don't know. So we're going to have to imagine something. And I'm thinking, imagine something that serves you well. Right. And and I don't even know what that is. We can talk about that if you want to. to So here's the next question. What's going to happen next? Mm. What can I anticipate in the future? You don't know. Are there going to be copycats? Will there be more of these? See all those questions. You like, can yeah, imagine we don't that know, all day we don't long. Know, we don't want. know. What, what kind of feelings does that generate if we imagine fear? All of those things. Well, it's fear, anxiety, and guess what? When we do that, we make it more likely that we're going to have additional problems. Yeah. So, it, I I'm so sad that this happened. Yeah. These are 150, is that yeah, the count? Yeah, I think that was the number. 150 souls. These are people who have histories and families and relationships and and important missions to accomplish here on this earth. What a tragedy. And, and we can't overlook that. Mm-mm. And I'm not saying let's pretend that it didn't happen. I'm saying let's process it now in a way that allows us to move forward and to create something useful. 
And, and that's the key, isn't it? Because if it's going to happen, if stuff is going to happen in life and we don't we, – we can't you know, always anticipate it mm-hmm. and we can't always fix it, then really all we can do is experience it and process it mm-hmm. and learn and grow and then – but not eliminate right. pain. It's always going to be there. It's inevitable. It's about processing. Well, Tim Hansel said it well in his book. He said pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Which suggests we got something to do with this. I'm remembering, Matt, you gave me a call when the, uh, when the Boston Marathon bombing yeah. happened. How do I get this spot? You, I, I think you're just destined. Because I'm pathologically positive. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> well, these things are going to happen now. We've got to decide what are we going to do with this. Yeah. What can we create from this? And I remember as I was anticipating that particular conversation, Matt, I was watching the news and, and trying to wrap my head around what had just happened when those people were killed at the Boston Marathon. Right. And, and hundreds injured. Yeah. And I watched the video online and I see this explosion. Boom. And people dropping. And and smoke, and I'm just, like, shocked yeah. by it. And then I listened to an interview with Dan Conley, the district attorney from Suffolk County. Huh. And he said, incidents like this don't expose our weakness. They expose our strength. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I felt so good about what he was saying, even in the midst of this tragedy. So I go back and I watch the video again, only this time with different eyes because I've got Dan's words ringing in my ears. There you go. And I see the explosion. Boom. And I see the people drop and I see the smoke. And then I see, which I had missed before, hundreds of people running toward the smoke. Yeah, that's yeah. That's toward right. the smoke, man. There, there's a couple of idiots that caused this heinous event. And then there's hundreds of heroes. Yeah. Who show up, and I don't know what stories are going to come out of the French Alps from oh, but, this. But he, even just telling the stories of those on the airplane, those everyone mm-hmm. on the airplane, those were all stories of strength. Still, we're still hearing good stuff. Yes, yeah. And Sweet. I believe, see, I'm just pathologically positive enough to believe <laughs> that light always wins. Yeah. Over darkness. I've got a closet in my office that's always dark because there's no light in there. Right. I open up the door. Guess what happens? It's amazing. It lights up a the bit. The light goes in and fills <laughs> it up. The darkness doesn't come out and overwhelm the room. Yeah. So is this a dark incident? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No question about it. Where's the light? That, I think, is a productive question. And that's something that all of us can bring to it, right? We bring our, the light of it in our own discussions, in our own processing of it, in our own thinking of it. Or we can bring the darkness. Who's going to bring it? Yeah. Who's going to light the candles? Because there's plenty of darkness in this world. We, we got to bring it, don't we? Got to bring it. We're talking with Dr. Paul Jenkins from drpauljenkins.com. And he also has a, blog, uh, a radio show, Live on Purpose Radio. If you go to his website or if you just look up uh, podcasts, yeah, look up a, Live on Radio. And there's a dot com for that, too. Is it liveonradio.com? Live on Purpose Radio. Live on Purpose Radio.com <laughs> and Live on Purpose TV. Got that, too, on YouTube. He's the man. Uh, We're going to come back more with Dr. P.J. Paul Jenkins after this break. He's going to continue to teach us how to process through situations like this airplane crash, but also just those things that come up in your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends. Dr. Paul Jenkins is joining us from drpauljenkins.com. Also from liveonpurposeradio.com, which is just a a great resource for you as well. But Dr. Paul uh, always seems to show up when we need help processing something, um, whether it was the the Boston bombing, he helped us process through that, or the tragedy in the Alps, the French Alps. Uh, He's here to teach us. Now, what he's teaching us isn't just to process this event. It's Mm -hmm. every event that... We experience, and that could be a death of someone we love that's close to us. That could be the loss of a job. That could be just your own anxieties, your own depressions. Right. But it's about processing. And you, you made a really interesting point in the break that no matter what, your brain's going to do something with this event. It has to with you your can, life. You yeah. can't turn off the processor. No, it's going to do something, and it will take it one direction or another. Yeah. And it's, you don't know. Uh, You don't know what all the answers are to these why questions and the what if questions and what next questions. You don't know. Mm -mm. Nobody does. So you almost just can't let it run because it might not necessarily – it might not process in a way that will lead you to a different spot, a healthier spot. Here's the problem, Matt. Default is down. Yeah. It go, yeah. Default is dark. Always go down. Always go dark. You turn off the power or take off the brakes, things are going down and dark. <laughs> so true. Right? Yeah. So, so elevation requires effort and light requires power. So is it hard to think about this in a positive way? Yeah. Yeah. Do it anyway. And you're not saying like... Oh, it, they're all in heaven. You're not just you're not just trying to spin it happy. You're saying take the facts of the event, take the event, and what? So I'm noticing something, and this is pretty typical of of the news media. Yeah, they want to answer those questions for you. Why did it happen? Why did this happen? How did it happen? And so they posit theories and they propose things. Mm-hmm. And and there's typically a desire to find someone or something to blame. Yeah. Okay, does that help you? Uh, all that does is it gets you off the hook. Well, yeah. So if we could find out that it was the co-pilot to blame and then we had a letter that said he was going to – if we had all that, then what? We'd, you're saying we'd still feel – Then we can blame him and hate him and feel like he ruined But everything. 150 people were still dead and everybody that knew it him is still suffering. It doesn't change the outcome. No. And it probably has you forming what we call a grievance. Yeah. It, it, I, and that's natural. Okay, that's so I'm not that, saying, yeah. hey, you're doing it wrong. I'm saying – Please notice that that's a choice. And if you choose to do that, the grievance begins to poison you. Hmm. And that's a problem. So the process we might default to, the, the just the downhill default, mm. is going to be to create a grievance, thinking that the grievance will get, eliminate my pain, yeah. but I'll always have someone else. But you're saying that process, even though it's natural, won't necessarily heal you. It will just poison you. Won't heal, right. It's like being bitten by a snake. Yeah. The venom, you know, do you want to go chase the snake and see if you can clobber the darn thing or for just, biting you? Why did it do it? Why did it bite me? Why did this snake? <laughs> and we drive ourselves nuts, but we do yeah, it all the time. Everybody does okay? it, yeah. So notice that you're doing it and then ask, is there an alternative? Mm-hmm. Can I take this some other direction? I think when you're bitten by a snake, you might want to make haste to get the venom yeah. out. Get to the doctor. Rather than pumping it through your system harder by right. 
right. you know, chasing the snake. So these things are going to happen. We cannot prevent them. I think we should not put ourselves in harm's way and we should take reasonable steps to yeah. see that, that we can do things safely. I fasten my seatbelt. Yeah. Well, I've, I've actually driven car. with you and I, I fastened my seatbelt too. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not to be rude. That's wise, man. <laughs> but that that's what we're talking about. Yes, be reasonable and and try to do things in a way that creates the highest probability for safety. But that's guess right. what? We don't have any guarantees. Oh, well, yeah. And it's like Frank Avignale told me that it, he knows he can beat any security system. We have to trust each other at some point. Yeah. We have to. I trust the pilots and the co-pilots and the whole navigation team. Every time I get on an airplane, I trust them to do the right thing. Now, right. will they? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But you know what? I have a better flight when I tell myself I'm good. You And maybe, and something you bring up a lot is sometimes you also just have to trust. whether If you can't trust everyone else will do their job, you just still at least have to trust you can handle it. So whatever happens, you can handle. You can handle it. What if I get killed in this plane? You'll be dead. Oh, like I can't <laughs> handle that. People handle that all the time. Yeah. Now, not to sound insensitive, but guess but, what? Nobody gets out of this alive. That's right. So, but you, but it, what if what if you know your child gets harmed or hurt doing something? You you'll still be able to handle that. Absolutely. But right now I'm like, no, no, no. I couldn't handle it. I spent a few minutes yesterday talking to Ed Smart. Yeah. And Elizabeth you remember what Smart's happened with daughter, Elizabeth, his daughter. I'm doing a, a project with Elizabeth that's amazing right now on positive empowerment psychology. It, things happen. Yeah. But what you do with it. Now, that's a more interesting question. Totally. Could you die tomorrow in some fiery plane crash? Yes, you could. So how do you want to live today? Who yep. do you want to touch and how do you want to show up today? Because you don't know. But live your life as if it's because at some point it will happen. Yeah, something. And it may not be a plane crash. It may be cancer. It may be that you die of old age in your bed. I don't know. But live today in a way that makes your life meaningful and that touches others. Yeah. See, that's a pretty good thing to get involved with and quit worrying about all the things that could happen. Things will happen. And we'll still learn. I mean, mm-hmm. society's going to learn from this, just like they've learned from the other plane crash. Right. We're going to learn, and it's you still have to deal with people, and people are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And yet, you can gain more confidence by you understanding a process and you becoming more predictable. And it's okay to stay in the question sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just sit in it. You know, like with this this plane crash in the Alps. Uh, seriously, Matt, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know if this man was responsible for the crash. I don't know what was going through his mind if he was. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with not knowing. Yeah. And and assuming that whatever it was, um, it, it, it is what it is. Now what? That's right. And that's that's a more useful question, I think. Well, yeah. And, and now what? Yeah. And now what do I do? So mm-hmm. when the event hits, now what? Now what do I do instead of now what's going to happen? Now what's – Yeah. It's just it's just a more focused way to use your energy, your mind. Um, yeah. It's almost like you've thought through this. Mm. Yeah, you do it every day, don't you? Uh, well, yeah. Doctor Paul Jenkins is his name. Go to go to his website, drpauljenkins.com. He's the shrink who expands your life. 
That's such a great line. There you go. Uh, also, go check out his podcast, Live on Purpose Podcast, and his book, Pathological Positivity. You can get that anywhere. Um, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. It's an honor. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the guys from BYU Sports Nation, we're going to check in with them, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to, to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that time of the day when we get to drop down to Studio B. And uh, while we're down there, we're going to be looking for Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. You know what I noticed? What? What? That this this format of your show is kind of the same as like a newscast Mm -hmm. where like you talk about real stuff and weather and Mm -hmm. get all the important things out of the way. And then the clowns come in at the end and make everybody smile. It's our sports guys. guys. Hi, sports guys. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's kind of true. But you're not clowns. Well, well, in fact, you actually did doctor. join the clown union. We talked about that this okay, week. Okay, not technically clowns. Yeah. You're not a clown until you've joined the union. Yeah. And you All get right. your nose. Fair enough. Hey, uh, I got some news for you, boys. What's up? Good or bad? I don't know. You tell me. I want you to choose. If you have to choose one of these three mills that are being offered at Miller Park, the mill, home of the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, not 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 BYU, not BYU baseball, baseball not Larry H. Miller. Yeah, not, not, oh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I don't think they have this cuisine there. <laughs> uh, here we go. First thing, you choose which one you want. You get only one. Uh, the first is called, this is uh, the Inside the Park Nachos, which is a stick of beef, which I know you love, Jerem. A stick of beef loaded with refried beans, rolled in Doritos, and then deep fried and drizzled with sour cream and cheese. Holy cow. Okay, that's one. Stick of beef, we'll call that. The other is Down Wisconsin Avenue Brat, which is an 18-inch brat covered oh. with gravy, French fries, cheese curds, cheese sauce, fried sauerkraut, and jalapenos. Oh. Topped Too with much. sour cream and chives. That's, by the way, 20 bucks. $20. But I know that you guys have the budget for that. And... Uh, the Miller Pork, Miller Pork, <laughs> actually fitting, Miller Park Brachos, they're called, mm. which is, consists of four different sausages, chorizo, Italian, Polish, and bratwurst, caught up, cut up and served on top of kettle chips, sour cream, fried jalapenos, and sauerkraut. Oh, man. I'm going to have to go for the first one. First the one? Beef on a stick. <laughs> that sounds good. How much, is that 20 bucks too? No, that's probably less. They didn't put a price on that. But how could you put a price on stick of beef? <laughs> stick of beef. <laughs> what would you... Is there a more manly meal than stick of beef? No, there's not. Uh, well, there's stick of chicken, but it's not the same. Where are you finding this stuff, man? You know what? It's in the news. Uh, a lot of times in the news, there's a lot of other stuff other than sports stuff. <laughs> What? The onion is a great resource. My mind it's is not blown. For, uh, Jerem always thinks it's the onion. But yeah. there are onions on all three of these orders. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which, Jerem, did you pick one? Uh, I'll go with the uh, the last one. Do you like sauerkraut? Three. Do you like sure. the brachos? Because yeah. when, when you I'm think, in Milwaukee, I do. When you think brachos, you think Jerem. Uh, chorizo, Italian sausage, Polish sausage, bratwurst, mmm. Bring it on, dude. That sounds really good. By the Watch way, f- the Brewers lose, whatever. Then we go down to the Diamondbacks in Arizona, and they have a churro dog. Yeah. Which is a donut bun topped by frozen yogurt sundae. Oh, yeah. Mm. 
I should get that. I, I end up going to a Diamond spa, Diamondbacks game once a year. My mom lives down there. Okay, get the churro, so dog. I'll, I'll get that this summer. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's a... Uh, it's fantastic. Oh, nice. It'll change your life. Hey, uh, I'm sure you guys are not just going to talk about food on your show. Well, I'm, that's all I'm thinking about now. I didn't eat breakfast. Thanks, man. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Luckily, you've got a show in 12 minutes. I've got some Ritz crackers in front of me and some ginger ale. <laughs> Super fun. Send one of your send one of your interns out. <laughs> one of my peons. It's, send yeah, one right. of your people out. I get food for my interns. Yeah. So there are interns here? No. <laughs> do we get interns? Jeremy's no. like, when do I get my intern? They're all student employees. Hey, hey cu- I cu- was a cu- person <laughs> once time here. A couple of good things to look forward to today. One, the NCAA tournament resumes, which means Starting. normal life can start again. <sighs> now we can breathe. Okay, the Sweet 16 tonight, four games of awesomeness, yeah. followed by four more games of awesomeness mm. on Friday night. It's going to be okay? a party. Then, our topic du jour uh, today is around BYU football, and there's this, then this theme developing at spring football in that it's not so much about perfecting the little things right now. Bronco Mendenhall is trying to find guys that just want to put in the work, and he needs leaders other than Taysom Hill. Yes. we got to okay, spread it last out. Year, yeah, last year it was Taysom Hill goes down. Oh, no. What the heck do we yeah. do? <laughs> it's all over. Okay, so he's looking for leaders, and we're going to talk about specifically on defense where BYU really needs those guys to step up as Bronco takes back over. And so, yeah, that's uh, that's a good show. It's always loaded. It's the man. show we have today. You know what? The only thing that would make it better is a plate of brachos or beef on a stick. Mm. <laughs> if you if you get the beef on a stick, you don't even need a plate. <laughs> True. But for sure, uh, when you go down, Jerem, to Arizona, you're going to bring us all a churro dog, right? I'm not bringing that thing back. Oh, you're so be selfish. Gnarly coming back. <laughs> Freeze uh, it, man. Take a cooler. Yeah. Everybody yeah. takes a cooler. You guys give me a few bucks, I'll make it happen. If you okay. were a bro, you would do that. Yeah. Or a Apparently bracho. I'm not a bro. <laughs> guys, Just you're a the man. best. Have a, have a great uh, lunch and a great show. Okay, Ritz crackers. Okay. Ritz crackers and win. ginger ale. Ginger ale He's throwing win. back some ginger ale. Yeah. See you, boys. Take <laughs> Thanks, care. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Great show coming up. Nine minutes, and uh, they'll be taking off. And, you know, you're, you'll be done salivating from all the brachos. Why did you just give me that look? That, that, that concept makes me ill. It's brachos. because you eat healthy. Well, yeah. You don't have enough I, I don't want to brag, but I eat a lot of kale. What the... No, kale four. What's kale four, by the way? I had never even tasted kale. And our great intern, guess what? She's supposed to, not intern, our great producer, supposed to bring us kale chips. She was going to bring them today. Yeah. But she said, if I don't bring them today, I'll be bringing them Friday. So she, Friday, we will be doing a kale chip tasting test. She has some follow through issues. We'll be working with her on We're that. not going to name names. Right. Uh, I, I'd feel bad if I embarrassed Kaylee that way. Well, but uh, she's going to bring us kale chips tomorrow. All right. And some ketchup, just in case. What would we need ketchup for? To dip the chips in to mask the taste of. No, the but she's got. Chips. It's gonna have. It's gonna have a, like a spicy flavor on it. Okay. I, I that, does, <laughs> that doesn't help to make it a, a better, you know, more enticing. It's still sort kale. Of snack food there. Eat it with a beef stick. Ah, oh, that'd be great. Dip. Tell her to bring some beef sticks. Is that like a cheese stick? Could be. Isn't a hot dog just a beef stick? Yeah. Or tube 
Or like Slim Jim. Depending That's on the like casing. A beef, a Slim like a beef Jim. Whip. Some beef jerky. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just sort of, you know, parts as parts. <laughs> oh, jeez. Parts as parts. Don't say it that so way. We've made the actual food you want to eat, and now here's what's left over. Hot dogs. <laughs> the extras. Okay, you've ruined my my appetite. So you were just talking about sports. Uh-huh. I have a sports story. What? But it involves your TV. What? So that's personal. Yeah. When you start messing with uh, a Someone's- man's television, men seem to be more attached to their TV than women. Yeah, what's that about? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but the, we'll need someone to do some studies, and we'll yeah. bring them on and James, talk to do them. a study on that. Okay, well, I was going to say you especially, because, I mean, you got four just a couple of months ago. I got Yeah, I got four. I bought. I meant to buy two, but I ended up buying four. At the same time? Was it? Was there a deal? Was there a there was two a, for one? Well, was there, a, there was a mistake. A BOGO going on? I, I bought two, and then the, the – uh, buy one, get one. No. <laughs> there was – I bought two, and then they told me that they weren't in stock. So I canceled them, but they ended up sending them to me anyway. And then I bought two others. Like you do. But I really only paid for two. So I had four TVs. This was a moment of trust. Really? So there was some sort of shipping mistake. A shipping mistake. You're only charged for two, but you have four. Uh So what did you do? Well, obviously, you kept Well, I I I, I contacted an attorney, and I found out would I – could they come after me? Yeah. And when he assured me they couldn't – I sold them out of my back of my car. No, I, I've got I, a deal for you. This is what's funny. I took them to the store. I won't name the name of the store that had made the mistake. Okay. But it rhymes with ball blart. Okay. And um, I took it there. Is that the mall cop? What's it? No, it's ball blart. It kind of is. <laughs> I took it back and um, I'm like, here's the deal. You guys made a mistake. I got two TVs. Here's the deal. I'm bringing them back, but I need proof that I brought them back. And they're looking at me like – you take a selfie with the TV? Yeah, you took a picture with them? No, I'm like, I, I don't know Smile. how to prove this. And honestly, it took like 10 minutes for them to go figure out how to take back merchandise that came over the internet when mm-hmm. there's no record of it and they don't owe me anything. They don't – you know, it's not normally how – normally Samsung would just ship the – So your honesty – Made their life difficult. Very difficult. And so, they and while they were filling out the paperwork, they said, you know, you could have just kept these and we never would have known. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> oh. did you, you didn't even think of that? You I did for a second. But, and then, but all my kids were watching. Right. And you have to set that example. Yeah. So you gave the TVs back. Uh-huh. Allegedly. Okay. I allegedly took them back. No, we didn't. And then they gave me a receipt. But lesson learned because then my kids now know – we can't cheat ball blart. Yes, ball blart. <laughs> Hypothetically. Mall cop. <laughs> um, <laughs> on so a what segue. were you talking about? I, we okay. totally hijacked So for the story. first time in its history, the NFL will use something other than TV to distribute national broadcast of a football game. What? A, a waffle maker. Beef stick. No. <laughs> the decision made mon- Monday at the league owners meetings for the f- upcoming season, Jacksonville Jaguars, Buffalo Bills game week seven. Uh-huh. The NFL will sell the rights to a digital distribution company. It could be YouTube, Facebook, Google, Apple, The somebody. Onion. The Onion. The game will start at 9.30 a.m. Eastern and will be played in London. Wow. The NFL met with tech companies such as Google 
on uh, when the Sunday ticket package uh-huh. on DirecTV, when that was up for sale, they were talking to Apple. They were talking to all these companies. Who wants it? Where are we going to put every single game? This is big. Distributed. And DirecTV quickly upped their, their bid price and got yeah. it back because it's, it's a huge property yeah, for them. totally. But the idea of putting that on a streaming service would make that the – See, streaming service. Here we People go. People would flock that to it. That is now the NFL. It's about content. Streaming. So, and this is the future, huh? So they're they're giving one game, week seven. So, some would question, huh, that's an interesting pick. Two teams that well, maybe aren't. It, it's two teams that aren't They're not the good. iconic, and they're not, it's not even going to be in the States. And it'll be in London. Yeah. The game's already sold out. Those games sell out the yeah. day they put the tickets on sale in London. So big. there's no question there. But it's only av- in the local markets. It'll be available yeah. to a local uh, TV station, but it'll be online. Yeah, they're just testing it to see how it goes and see mm. what the, what it looks like. But it could be interesting. That's cool. That's great news. And uh, so we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot. Take your TVs back if they ship you too many. To Ballblart. Don't worry about rejection. Mall cop. Folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, we couldn't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. And lead the life you want to lead. This is uh, our goal is to help you with that. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care.